Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and this week I'm talking movies and films with my best buddy James. YOLO my bromo. That's a good intro, I like that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're vibing today. We're vibing. We are two guys that will delve into cinema, movies, uh, home entertainment, streaming sites on the quest to find the greatest movies of all time. Big screen, middle screen, cardboard box. Yeah, we'll do it all. We'll do it all. Streaming, Netflix, Amazon, big screen, cinemas are open. We're there. We're jazzed. We're ready. And this week we're looking at none other than... Uh, legendary. Of, legendary. Masterful. John Carpenter. Iconic in his own right. The sort of person that gets John Carpenter before you even find out the title of a movie. That's that's top shelf. Yeah. John Carpenter's Vampires. Yes. Why would you always go there? <laughs> you always go for that one. Because someone's got two Because it's either that or John Carpenter's Ghost on Mars. Do you know what? <laughs> the, the two death notes in his filmography. Leave him alone. <laughs> We're also going to talk about some other movies, including the new one, which is uh, the Zack Zack Snyder. Snyder. Netflix. They want some of that top dollar, mate. Mm. But before we do any of that, let's touch base and find out how we're doing. James, how's your week been? It's been seven days since we last conversed over the microphones. What's been going on? It's been a cracking week. You know, up there, energised, ready. The world's reopening. We're getting lots of news coming out of Hollywood. It's all good. It's Everything's positive. We're all kind of waiting for that film that's going to draw us back to the cinema. Do we know what it is? I still think it's going to be Bond. Uh, I just think people have been waiting so long. The appetite's been whetted. People are there. I mean, Kong, Maybe it's been too long. Yeah, possibly, but Kong, Godzilla, that, they're still, I think they were trying to bring in the, the big books. Unfortunately, it's a good film. I've seen it. I'm not, it doesn't make me want to go out and risk my life to see it though. So I'm still not there. It's like, it's, it's the tenant. They thought it was going to be, it's not. However, I can hold out for a few months. I, I can go see the big one. I can see Bond. I, I think Bond is it for me. Yeah. I think Bond after, after summer, after the blockbusters. Yeah. Uh, October you, release, something like that. But then it's time for nostalgia, mate. You know, we've been locked in our homes for a year. All that nostalgia coming out in what was a, ge- a generation defining TV series, Friends. Mm. So Friends has obviously done a deal with HBO Max to, to come back, revisit the the cast and the sets and the, the guest stars and... Tell stories. Tell stories. Jive of- about the good times. See, I'm confused because I thought it was going to be like a one-off episode. I thought it was, wasn't it? No, because from the looks of it, that is it not just like a behind-the-scenes thing? I'm yeah, confused. I it was like a two-hour documentary about where they are now. They're doing yeah. some table reads. They're telling stories. They're you know they're peeking behind the curtain of the magic that was Friends, a TV show that reached billions across the world. But I thought it was going to be like an actual episode. On top of that, there was going to be like no, an no, hour. No, or you no, find no. Out what I think all be. the cast have unanimously always said that they won't go back to it. The script would have to be amazing. But also, how do you bring those characters back? The the world of Friends has moved on. TV world has moved on significantly. That was going to be my point. I'm not that excited. I, I'm not really interested in behind the scenes. I know it sounds really stupid. I, I don't really care. I, I, I do. I mean, I'm not going to stick the knife in Friends. Friends have been there for me, James. I've watched it numerous times, all seasons. I love that TV show. I love that TV show. I'm glad that it's time-stamped. It's, it's yeah. a figure, you know, of when I was, you know, a teenager and, and younger. But but would you be going back just to reconnect with the actors as they reminisce? But you're not actually going back to learn anything, are you? So my argument is, is that comedy medium is dead? Friends, how they made Friends at the time, you know, the, 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 the 90s, Brilliant. Fantastic. That's how you made. We don't like our humour now like that. We don't like a sitcom studio based. We like it like The Office, you know. So we hate laugh tracks. We hate the live audience reaction. As audiences, we've moved away. So I just think the show's really late. 
And now I'm not taking anything away from Friends because even I like some episodes of Friends. <laughs> some. But to me, you could not make that comedy now. Mm. Like the character of, of, of Ross being such a caricature, like Joey. Joey's the one you can't redo you now. You can't do Joey. But then but then Ross, I think, if you saw the character of Ross, you'd lock him up in a mental home. You'd be like, wow, mate, there's something not right. Yeah, but it's the, it's the parody of his life, wasn't it, that was part of the show. Don't make it out like Paul writing is what it was. Mate, Leave it alone. It, that TV show was magic, uh, <laughs> but it was a time... It was, it was it was a product of its time and that time is long gone. But I'm looking forward to uh, revisiting those guys and seeing what they're doing and, and I will be sopping it up, James. Well, good for you, I'll sir. I'll be there. Um, there's been more I'll be news there for this you. week. Oh, what you got? Oh, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. There's been more news. Um, Henry Cavill. Oh, what has he done now? Let me guess. He's 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 won the internet. He's he's going to play Mario in the next Mario remake. He's He's got a tattoo of the Dagobah system on his back. He's going to be the Highlander. There you go. That's it. Done. He's, he's Connor McLeod himself. And I like that they're keeping with the tradition of a film called The Highlander. Do not, under any circumstances, cast a Scottishman. <laughs> Do not. Um, but I'm looking forward to... Well, uh, in the lead role, because obviously Sean Connery played that. Egyptian. Know, Egyptian Spaniard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think by that logic, I can't wait till uh, Stephen Graham plays, <laughs> plays the mentor role. I don't think they're going to do the older mentor. I don't think they need... I think they're going to do brother... Like, oh, yeah. I think it'll be someone of his age. Obviously, he'll be a lot older in terms of the immortal years, but I don't think they're going to go for the fatherly figure. I think they'll go for the brotherly figure. Yes, yeah, now now I, everyone's thinking who's playing like the Kurgan, the big baddie. Yeah. And now my friends have texted me already and said, Batista. Batista's an awesome call. That would be a good call. However, I think they should go different. I think they should go insipid, backstabby. I think maybe the mentor should be the bad guy, trains him to lose uh, yeah, but you just, you just cut off his head off early on, wouldn't you? Yeah, but maybe... Depends how far in the Mephos they go, because obviously by the end one, they started realising that if you killed... If you took off the head of someone who killed 400 people, you rank up pretty quick. That's what I'm thinking. So, yeah, do you... I don't know. I don't maybe, know. Maybe it, trains him, because maybe they're not strong. I heard this... I heard this great theory once, that one of the films they were going to make was the bad guy was going to be a child, an immortal in a child's body. So they're actually 1,000 years old, but they look like, like a 12-year-old boy the ultimate defence mechanism because you would not want to kill a 12-year-old boy. And so the 12-year-old boy manipulates people to fight for him and in the end is a backstabbing bastard. And I was like, that's a, in the right hands of a director, that's a cool mm. storyline. That that makes you think, Henry Cavill won't call up a 12-year-old. <laughs> that's so, why we love him. So we know that he's probably going to be Tom Hardy then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll tell you who my money's on, mate. I think if you want a bad guy, yeah. if you also want someone who um, can't do Scottish. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson. There you go. In some kind of weird Braveheart sequel. I, 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 do you know what? Yes. Mel Gibson make it, make is the Kurgan. <laughs> Think about it. I, I, do you know what? You, you're going to, you're going to disagree with me. I'm going to go Dev Patel. Because I've, I'm going for that. Hold on. Not, Dev Patel or Dave Batista? Dev, no, I, I think Batista is, if you're going for a remake. Yeah. Batista. Yeah. But in my vision of someone who's like a bit insipid, not as imposing, but uses their brain, gets in your head, I'm mm. going Dev Patel. But then again, I see Dev Patel everywhere, mate. I close my eyes, Dev Patel's there. Yeah, you need to get that looked at. Getting in the bath, Dev Patel's there with me. <laughs> I'm stalking Dev Patel. There's Dev Patel. I, I'm looking forward to uh, Highlander. I do you what? It, it, the only problem is, is it's just like, he shows up, he's like, right, die your you're not, you're not Geralt today. <laughs> you're going to be the Highlander. But the mates. I'm do, you worried- you, do you think you submitted a Witcher... Uh, episode is his yes. like submission. <laughs> it's just like this is me with a sword, yeah. and I wait for your call. But uh, there was a when he was on the set for The Witcher Two, which I near, think is nearly finished. Wrap, uh, it nearly wrapped. wrapped. It's wrapped. It's wrapped. So that'll be out this end of this year, or maybe start of next. So that's soon. 
and I'm looking forward to it. And I know from a few episodes ago back, if you go listeners, Aaron maybe changed his mind on it. Oh yeah, I did Redemption like it. episode. Mm. Um, but now I'm thinking it, there was a picture of him with a Mass Effect script. And is he, that a tease though? I think that was a tease. I think he was just playing to the crowd because he is the nerd's favourite uh, actor, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's, he's such a, apparently in his spare time, plays a lot of video games. He's, he's into his comics. He's, he's a cautious man. I think he might be the perfect. What worries me though, mate, I think he makes the wrong career choices sometimes. Are we doing that episode this week? No, I was just saying, I was just I was teasing it for next week. <laughs> next week, teasing, Henry mate. Cavill special. I was teasing, I was you know sprinkling that tease. Oh yeah, laying laying the paving for next week's show. In the pipe. <laughs> um, other big news: Kevin Space is set to return. Oh my it? god! I, do you know what? I, when I saw this, I'd never stole. You tell the story, and I'll tell you the joke that I got for it. <laughs> Kevin Space is set to return in a drama about a man who was wrongfully suspected of child abuse. Timothy Chalamet has been signed on as a young Willy Wonka in a prequel no one's asking for. That, I hate that. I absolutely hate that idea. I hate it because it's directed by Paul King, who's not coming back to do Paddington 3 because oh. he's doing a Willy Wonka prequel. But do you prequel. not, you love Paddington, do you not think that sort of whimsy in a in, as, yeah. in that sort of world would be made? And maybe I'll get my Vinicius Canids, mate. And you know me, every episode I say, I want me Vinicius Canids. There's a, I remember Gene Wilder being interviewed about the Johnny Depp Tim Burton remake, and it's like, what do you think? And he was like, why? <laughs> like, there's literally, he was like, why? We've done it. We've done that film. Charlemagne would be a a Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka because yeah. they kind of look the same. He's not mad. He's not pre Gene Wilder, and Gene Wilder's ever, he's my Willy Wonka. Hashtag is, yeah. my Willy Wonka. Which just had a 4K Blu-ray release this week. Do you think you'll get it? You've got a kid. Do you? Yeah. Die? That's the sort of film I think uh, she's got to see. Yeah, I mean, it's quite scary in, in that uh, well, you mean the scene magical where, tunnel scene. You mean the scene where everyone trips balls on acid? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> God thinking, knows what was in that chocolate, mate. <laughs> Willy Wonka starts to, starts to give like a terrifying speech. But there's a metaphor there, isn't there, about don't go into a crazy man's playground and start eating his flowers. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Yeah, because the German boy got stuck in the tube and everyone else hallucinated. <laughs> It's weird. I, oh. I, I do like Augustus Gloop. Yeah. He's, yeah. Fruit something. Um, I want it all. What else have we got in news this week? Dwayne Johnson is voicing Superman's dog in DC's Super Pets. About time. I mean, it's, it, it's, let's be honest, since he broke through in like 94 in the wrestling world, everyone saw him and just went, that is the voice of the, crypto. crypto. I think yeah. you'll find me. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I just, I just <laughs> basic bitch to Superman's dog. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Crypto. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the fans are going to be confused though because he's also slated to play Black Adam. So they'll go, who, who are you, Superman's dog? Or <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Could um, you think of anything you cared less about? It's like Miley Cyrus is playing, I don't know, the Green Lantern's bird. It's like something I do not care about. In a film I won't watch, so. Yeah, I think... Um you're on fire today, James, referring to, to, to a bird. <laughs> I know. Um no, I, 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 it could be like the Batman Lego movie that I had no expectation of, and then ended up loving it. Oh, I don't good. know. I don't know. It could, it could be, it could be brilliant, playful, and fun. Um, yeah, I've got no expectation of it, and it's not on my radar. But uh, Dwayne I mean, Johnson Dwayne is signed Russell, up. Yeah. Uh, Hocus Pocus two is now confirmed about, after years of speculation. About time. Yeah, yeah. It's all three of the main stars. Um, but let's be honest, none of them have got anything else on. <laughs> I don't know, Jessica Parker's probably making Sex and City. They do what? No, no, they're doing another TV series because Samantha's not in it. They're oh. falling out with the Kim Cattrall, so she's not in it. But the other three main. Look cast at you, gossip back. girl. You know all the. You know everything, don't you? I do. 
What else you got? Hocus Pocus 2, though. I'm looking forward to that. I do. I'd quite like the first one. Mm. Don't they? Isn't there like a zombie that falls? Doug oh, Jones. Know. Was that Doug Jones? Doug Jones, yeah. Why did I think Doug Jones played a cowboy in that? <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know how we got there. Move um, on. There's a Cher biopic coming out. Who's Next. playing Cher? <laughs> Is it Cher? Probably. It's the most redundant thing ever. No one cares, Cher. Do what, though? Fair play to her. I was watching, and I wasn't watching it. It was on in the background. Cher's the only person I know that that decided to leave like an Oscar-winning acting career to continue crappy songs. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I never understood that. You know, Jennifer Lopez, she, she was she was a fairly successful singer. I think she was a very successful singer. She was a very successful singer, but then she moved into acting and like, is it films like U-Turn? That's brilliant in U-Turn. She, she didn't have the acting gift, but then was like, no, fuck it, I want to do more songs. And I just think, oh, I, wouldn't you rather, oh, you're a musician guy. I would rather be a movie star than a musician. I think most, most movie stars, they want to be musicians. I think that's really weird. I can't get that. Mm. Uh, anyway, it's, that's just me. Yeah, I don't know if I go see... Again, it could be like Rocketman, though. It could be one of them where actually as a fantasy biopic is quite interesting. I mean, she's got the hits. She has got the we hits. We knew this was going to come out. After the string of um, Oscar-nominated um, musical biopics, you know it's only a matter of time before Prince do and... Do not think there's more... Like like Aretha Franklin, I think there is an there's Aretha, Aretha Franklin, Franklin one. isn't there? Yeah, but you would have thought there's more coming. Yeah, I, the Bowie one's always been rumored, hasn't it? Is is on its way. Yeah. Obviously, we've had incarnations of the Beatles kind of films yeah. with Yesterday, which is obviously a play on their music. I really liked. Um, it was was it Yesterday the, the song with the world has no yeah, yeah no songs. Beatles. Yeah, I yeah. really liked that film. I did. That's charming. charming. It was charming. Yeah, I actually really liked that. I thought, what a great idea. And there's no like real big story behind it. It's just like, oh, the guy plays Beatles songs. No one knows what they are. Mm. That's fantastic. Uh, Liam Neeson's next film gets its title, The Ice Road. Hasn't he done something similar to this? Is this a sequel? He, Wasn't he? he did Hard Powder or whatever that movie was called. But that was the in Snowplow the, Guy. Yeah, when he was when he was trying to get revenge from like someone like I know clipped his snowplow or a gang gang in the local town. This one he uh, is, is a, a ice road trucker, yeah. and uh, there's a diamond mine collapses, and he has to use a particular set of skills to help to, to, to be up a rock. He punches his way through that mine. Um, yeah. That's a film that no one wants. I look forward to finding it in the uh, the bargain bin. No, <laughs> I'll fucking watch it. I don't care what you say, James. I'll watch the Evening films till till Til, till he stops making them, which yeah. hopefully will be soon. Don't don't say that. No, it just means someone... I don't mean that, nothing horrible. I just mean hopefully someone will watch them and go, why? <laughs> I, I have a good pleasure about the Evening films. I quite enjoy them. You know what? You're allowed to. I'm going to allow it. Um, so we've got John Carpenter to talk about, and then we've got a couple of new films to talk about. One in particular. Now, James, I'm going to ask you a question. Ask away, my little diamond. Have you ever had Road Rage? I Yes. This, do you know what? If you're going to talk about a Russell Crowe film, I actually have watched this a few weeks ago and forgot to bring it up. I was supposed to bring oh, it up last week. Good Unhinged. timing. Unhinged, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, well, I was going to go down it, the route of, have you ever had Road Rage? Uh, yes. And have you ever taken that out on someone by uh, murdering everyone that they know? Do you know what? No. <laughs> I think maybe not that bad. If you haven't seen this movie, it's now on uh, Sky Cinema, so it's on uh, Now TV. That's where I it's, saw it. It's uh, by Derek Bortle. It stars Russell Crowe, Karen Pistorius, and Gabriel Bateman. Uh, it's the it's a 90-minute um, feature. It's nicely... It's a tidy little movie um, where Russell Crowe is a unhinged yep. uh, individual whose world collapses in front of him. And one day at a routine, just red light, um, he's beeped at from behind. 
nice quite aggressively. Yeah. And then he decides to take it out on that individual by basically just destroying her life and including anyone that she loves, cares about. So uh, Karen Pistorius plays Rachel, who's in the car. She She's waiting to get around him. He's stalling. He's not, he's not going through the green light. So she beeps him. Then he catches up with her in, you know, in, in he traffic. Gives, gives like a, like a monologue. They're, they're, gives you the cars, opportunity to apologise. The cars are next to each other. The windows are wound down slightly and he speaks very softly. I tell you what, she's got a fucking great hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, just apologise. He's like, no. But you know, Russell well, Crowe's, Russell Crowe's in the giant American four by four. Yeah. You know, she's in the Volvo that doesn't start properly oh. with a kid in the back. Um, and uh, yeah, he's like, apologise, you know, you, you, if you say sorry, we can just move on, we can put all this behind us. She's, you know, a bit stubborn, you know, they're, they're running late, she's like, well, you should have gone, we ain't got all day, I've got nothing to apologise for. Russell Crowe takes that the wrong way and um, just becomes hell-bent on making her life living hell, including uh, mowing people down, running yep. them, trying to take her off the road. Um, yep. Basically, just giving her a really bad day. Yep. I tell you what, shittiest police department in the world. It's amazing, isn't it? How, <laughs> it is. how no one like nothing, stops it. I mean, nothing happens here. I mean, the police are like, oh, there's this, there's a bit of road rage. Fine, you can understand. Oh, there's, there's been a, there's been a, an ordeal at a hotel. Oh, this person's just literally got murdered. Ah, yeah, but but I'm still responding to that call earlier. A bit of road rage. Literally, the police. His job is to be about eighty minutes behind the storyline. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I quite enjoy this movie. I. You, so when you take away you all need, that, that you that, do need to ha- you need to step away from like you need to the step reality that the police would have been there in two seconds. So you so it's the film plays on this. It's realistic enough to happen, but at the same time, oh, it will never happen. Mm. <laughs> but no, I I think Russell Crowe, who is fantastic in this, he's soft spoken. There's a scene where he sits down with a gentleman. I can't remember uh, Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy Simpson, and they're just having a conversation. And but you kind of know that something's not right. Mm. Uh, it is quite tense. But that's Russell Crowe being the A-lister in this film. He, he's commanding he performance. And I he, imagine he got the script and he was like, yeah, I'll have some fun with this. I'll have some fun with this. He puts on quite a lot of weight to to lose the physique, so he's just a big man and he looks big. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was very good. I believe she's cracking. I, like, I quite like the kid actor in it. who's kind of like winding the situation up at first. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I love the leap. You know, like, 50 minutes into the film, you've had like what you call the usual bit of road rage. Fuck it, 11. So they dial mm. up and then it's like, at one point I genuinely expected Michael Douglas to like with his glasses walk across and go, even that's a bit too rich for me. I mean, yeah. I'm fucking done. It has a falling down <laughs> feel to it, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I, th- I think, yeah, you're right. It, it progresses. You know, it does go from the usual, you know, the kind of trying to run her off the road, you know, uh, stalking. At one point you expect him to show up the car and find him cackling like, <laughs> yeah. But then it escalates fucking quickly. When he yeah. gets hold of a mobile phone and he basically rings her and he's like, right, pick someone out of your phone book, I'm going to go murder him. Yeah. It's, it, 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 go, it goes just gone Papa John's. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. But uh, I, I, I enjoyed no it. I thought it was tense. I thought it was, I thought it was a tight movie. The, there's very little room for it to take its foot off the pedal. It, it, it pretty much is when you get in there after them first 10 minutes of setting up these two characters... I probably could have done without the backstory of Russell Crowe. I would have liked him just to have been a yeah, maniac. Yeah, just to have been that, yeah. You get this like opening scene where you realise he's a very violent person. Which is scary if you don't know. Yeah. Because I know it sounds really stupid, you know he's capable of this, but in the back of your mind, he's like, the theory is we've all been in a situation where we've honked a horn. And, and you don't pissed, know who you're honking at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And someone's pissed you off. And I like the idea that it was just an everyman who finally snatched it, snatches, smashes, oh, fucking heck, snaps and loses it. And Russell Crowe, I think, I do remember, the, and do you know what I really like about this film? It's loud, like the the crashes and the door slamming. It, it like the voices are loud, but 
but the sound it's crisp and it like it hits you, it's tangy, it's it's in your ear, it's in your face, it's uncomfortable. That's really good uh, sound mixing. It, it reminded me of a movie that I saw years ago, um, which I think in the UK was called Roadkill, oh, but I, I think its American release was called Joyride. Um, had the late great Paul Walker in it. Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh, you see, to and me, I got a changing lane vibe. Had, uh, Steve Steve Zane in it as well. Um, is that the one I'm thinking of? The one where they basically tease a trucker. They they have a two way radio. Ah, uh, they they say meet up, meet me at this at a motel, they, and they don't realise that the trucker that they're playing on is a fucking serial like a mental. Yeah, case. I do remember this. I don't remember seeing it. Uh, I got um, changing lane vibes, which is a Ben Affleck Samuel L. Jackson film, where they have a road rage accident. And he's going on his way to, like, Ben Affleck's on his way to a big, like, court case. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Samuel Jackson, like, ends up with his equipment and, it, like, starts destroying it. And they start destroying mm. lights. So, like, I liked that that kind of road rage element, the, the random element of anything could happen. And this one, it, they ended up, like, swapping, like, car booties <laughs> or whatever happens. Mm. But, but again, this one played in the fear of, and you perfectly summed up, you don't know who you're honking at. You don't know who you're road raging against or who's road raging against you. Mm. Could be a serial killer. Could be an everyday man. Could be me. I actually quite enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, like I say, 90 minutes. Russell Crowe's performance carries the movie. I, yeah. I don't get me wrong. I think Karen Pistorius is, is really great and really good and, um, you know, adds that kind of that human element to it. There are scenes where she's like, this can't be happening. This doesn't happen. Like, yeah. where are the fucking police? And you as an audience member are like, yeah, where yeah. are the police? Like, are they, the they would police? stop him like, in a heartbeat. Like, um, But it, it, it's eerily... Um, it's suspenseful. And, and like you said, there are certain scenes in, in, for example, the diner and also a scene that happens later on in the house with a, with a guy taped to a chair that, you know, it is, it, it's quite brutal. It's quite, um, actually really quite scary actually to think that someone in broad daylight could get away with, or at least perform some of their max. So also we're trying to think in America at no point, no one just shoots him. <laughs> just yeah, no one's like, I've got a spear gun. I'll yeah, just... exactly. Shut up. <laughs> no, I, I think, I thought Owen Hinge was a pretty good movie actually. I'd, uh, I was happy to watch it for nine minutes. Yeah, nine minutes. It was a good wrong time. Good experience. I'm, I, if it's on, I'm going to watch it. I don't mm. think I'll ever see this film. I thought it was, it was okay to good. Yeah. Was, I do with it, actually. Yeah. That's the best you get from me. Oh, right, I like a good road rage film, though, now that you're talking about it. I might it's check quite that one market, out. isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit different. Yeah. Jewel, obviously, being probably the big one. I, I always liked, what's that one with Kurt Russell where they steal his wife? Oh, it was good. Not, actually, that's not a road rage film, is it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I suppose Mad Max actually is probably the big one. Yeah. Drive, um, drive angry. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Should we no, do uh, Army of the Dead now or do you want to do John Carpenter? I don't know. Let's do John Carpenter because actually I've got quite a bit to talk about with Army do of what? the Dead. Hey, mate, if you're going to have to put it... All right. All right, I guess. John Carpenter. Uh, so if you don't know, John Carpenter is a renowned filmmaker uh, known for horror, sci-fi, and gen- uh, genre-bending um, motion pictures. He's a writer, director, actor, composer, producer, with over 32 directing credits to his name. He's a film school dropout. Uh, John Carpenter released his first film, Dark Star, in 1974. So he actually dropped out of film school to release that movie after a series if of you, short films. If you're going to drop out of film school, though, drop out for a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty epic. Yeah, I, I like this. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, it's like, I, with Bruce Willis, it was like, ah, year one, I've got the basics. I'll, I'll wing it from now on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Kevin Smith was the same, wasn't he? He did a two years, I think, of a three-year degree and was like, that's enough. I don't need that third year. Yeah, exactly. It's like Gordon Ramsay, trial at Manchester United, went, fuck it, I make great eggs. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So we're going to look at uh, his filmography and some of his movies, answering that question that we've all probably asked at some point if you're a film fan. And what's your top three John Carpenter movies? Sound like a plan? It does, but I, I'm going to be honest, I think you're a whore for making me pick three. I've well, got like a top 12. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just look at some of his trademarks to begin with. So first and foremost for me with John Carpenter, sticks to the landing. Yeah. I think John Carpenter is one of the filmmakers that um, love, like, or loathe the movie that you're watching. He does pace a film well and that it tends to resolve satisfactory to audiences. It I, doesn't, it does, it's not one of them where it drops the ball in the third act normally. I would like to point out that I think that he is the master at pacing the film. I think all his films are masterly paced. Mm. And if we would compare him to a modern day actor, a director who cannot pace for shit, um, and John Carpenter's head and, head and shoulders above the breast. I think if you look at a film like, uh, Halloween, where it's actually the engineered to have a jump scare every 12 minutes. Yeah, I remember when um, you told me that and then worked it out. It's like, oh, nice. Yeah, true. so, he, he, you know, a, a masterful uh, a pacing a movie. I think it also front and centre of a lot of his movies is it's anti-heroes, it's everyday people. It puts you, the audience member, in the film to think, what would I do in that situation? Um, how would I survive? What would I, uh, how would I react? If that everyday man was Kurt Russell. <laughs> if that every man was Kurt Russell, yeah. But it's everyday people swept up in action, adventure and horror. Um, he's also known for making commercial successes on budget and shoestring um, uh, budgets for movies. His first film, uh, Dark Star, which you talked about, we had one of the tightest budgets because obviously he was an unproven and he wanted to make a sci-fi on a tight budget like that but wanted also a grand epic film. Mm. you ever seen that? No, no, it's one it, of his that I haven't. It's, it's, a, it's a testament to uh, independent movie making. They, what they do with their tiny budget is very successful and I believe do you know what if you want to add something I would say learns from it learns constant evolving learn lessons in, in in 1974 which he would use in 1982 with the thing mm. so constantly using what he's learned in film to progress I think also a lot of John Carpenter's films have repeatability yes I don't know if that's a word but I use it all the time no repeatability I, uh, re you, I'll repeat it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rewatchability you can go back to John Carpenter's movies time and time again I think they've, they've, they still hold up I mean yes uh, effects have moved on Acting has moved on somewhat, and storytelling has moved on somewhat. Takes, but, oh, sorry, but they are rewatchable. The thing I always enjoy it every time I go back. Halloween, I love it every time I watch it. It's dated. I know it is. It's maybe it's maybe less gory, less um, uh, threatening than some other movies that are out nowadays. But you know, at the same time, you've got to remember that John Carpenter kind of was the catalyst for a lot of these um, you know serial killer movies and and horror films. I would go. I'd go one step further, and on top of that, stand on your shoulders. Make my point. Visionary. Mm. Had and not not only by now Hollywood is if you look at the amount of people that say they're uh, affected by his work or pay homage to his work, there's there were all the A-listing actors, directors, actresses that uh, John Carpenter is a staple of Hollywood that we didn't that they didn't celebrate at the time. Mm. It, time is weirdly one of the, uh, time has been the greatest factor to his work. All mm. of his films usually meet very little critical success or commercial success, but years later. He kind of evolved the cult film following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He certainly has a cult. You look at a movie like Big Trouble Little Chinatown, which is a box office Mate, flop. you know I'm going to be talking about that. Massive flop at the box office, but it certainly found its audience later on and became a, a, an absolute cult hit. Um, I think his endings as well to a lot of his movies linger. Yeah. Um, certainly some of his more impactful horror movies, the, after the film's finished, when you're walking home, you know, or you're sat there, you know, the, the, the that evening or whatever, you, you find yourself got revisiting it and thinking about it. I think he has this real... Uh, craftsmanship about him that those films stick with you yeah good bad or, or whatever um and also i think that there's there's a trademark of his that it tends to have bleak and dark undertones to a lot of his films 
has a lot of scores that are demanding. I know he's a, a composer and a lot, you know, you think things like the the main film to Hallow the Halloween movie, um, you know, which he wrote. Um, I was just in the early years, he did the writing, the directing, the producing, and like the movie composing. Yeah. So he's flipping everywhere. So he knows how to craft the film, so that you get them that creeping suspense throughout, normally all revealing and and everything happening in that third act. Um, so yeah, I I really like John Carpenter's work. Certainly, looking at the filmography and some of the films we're going to talk about today, it is hard to pick a top three. Actually, I've I've just got great films that I love. I I have. Do you know what my my problem is? My top three is it's quite obvious because I think they're in the vault. Or I talked mm. about them loads in the past. There are films though that are so worthy of mention. Can I just say something about John Carpenter? Mm. So when I look at John Carpenter's work, I find very there are two films that I really don't like in there. However, I see a someone who understands what movies mean to me because I think they mean the same to him. And this is quite possibly the best compliment I think I can give a director. <clears throat> John Carpenter makes movies for me. Mm everything about what he wants an audience to feel, I feel. So when I hear you, Aaron, talk about Wes Anderson, I always feel like you feel like Wes Anderson's making that for me because he knows everything I love. You know, I love that. And when I see John Carpenter film, down to the score, the aesthetics, the, the bleak undertones, I'm like, John Carpenter's crafted this for me because he gets me. Mm. He he gets me, mate. I'm into a film. See that John Carpenter presents. I'm there. Couldn't give a toss. You know what? I'll die in the grave. Ghost of Mars ain't that bad. <laughs> because that's where we might start on this little road trip this ghost train of of uh, films that we're going to go through so looking at John Carpenter's body of work it's difficult to rank order them based on um, technical achievements or originality Carpenter is a director and a filmmaker investing in shocking audiences and pushing his abilities as a filmmaker James permission to wet one's appetite please wet away sir your top three John Carpenter movies well maybe what about Martian police picking up a dangerous criminal at a remote mining post where left-behind citizens are now possessed by ghosts of madmen? Oh, you can't win them all. <laughs> Starting off strong with Ghosts of Mars from 2001 starring Ice Cube, Jason Statham, Pam Greer, and Natasha Henstridge. This film, I remember being like, that, that title's badass. Like, Ghosts of Mars, sign me up. Got to be careful what you wish for. You've got to be careful what you wish for. I really like the imagery as well of... Um, they? they're not zombies <laughs> no they're crazy they're crazy uh, they're, they're crazy it's like someone on Mars has just gone like you know what be crazy so they're crazy so they like cut themselves up this guy I remember like the main guy looks cool mm. he looked metal as fuck the only problem is you can look metal as fuck and do fuck all <laughs> yeah he's very um, it's very 2001 that look wasn't it yeah. it's very like Linkin Park's big I was, I was actually, actually going to say what's well, Marilyn Manson's in the news yeah, maybe um, yeah it was very new metal 2001 Ghosts of Mars I, I didn't hate it when I watched it. I did think, I did I, I knew the name John Carpenter at the, when I watched this movie. So I would have been like fucking, I don't know, 14 when this film came out. Um, I remember like John Carpenter, the master of horror, and then being like, this film? This film. This film is really the master. I mean, they come out of retirement for this film as well. It's like you've you got, the, the zeros must have been plentiful on yeah. that checkbook. But I would just like to point out, Natasha Hendricks has is, is always been a big fan of mine. I've, I've definitely said that the wrong. <laughs> she's, fact, she's a fan she's of species. Const- she's you? constantly texting me. No, I liked the storyline of species. <laughs> species. Yeah, um, I like Michael Madsen in that movie. Yeah, I said no one. <laughs> but no, she, she's always been pretty good. She was good in the Nine Yards, the whole Nine Yards, and you like that film? I do like the film? There you go. See, um, so it, it's okay. It's 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 the cast list. Young Jason Statham. I mean, Pam Greer just to die. <laughs> <laughs> just, I never really saw that one coming, but then I don't think I appreciate who she was. But I just like to play uh, Clea Duvall. She was, she was, she was early two thousands. She's mm-hmm. not in things now. 
that's a shame. I really like Chloe Duval. But I remember the desk being like really pathetic. Like they don't like get caught up or anything. They just get like like spikes thrown at them. It's really mm. disappointing. But first one of the early action films for Jason Statham. So we've got that to thank. <laughs> thank you, Ghost of Mars. <laughs> and um, Ice Cube. And it finally showed us that Ice Cube wasn't the leading man. So that's good. Thank you very much. <laughs> appreciate that. It's one of the movies though. It is where it's like, so, God, what would you do if you trapped on Mars with all these like crazed people that are like possessed by get ghosts? Get a train. Just, yeah. <laughs> Just, what is, what is that? Get a train. No, there's not, you could say Ghosts of Indiana and the storyline wouldn't fucking it's, change at all. It's ambitious, James, is what it was. <laughs> it, it, it went for a B-movie feel, let's be honest. It, it did. And do you know what? All play to you. James, do you like village festivals? I love village festivals. Have you ever been enjoying a family barbecue or suddenly without warning you fell asleep? And in fact, everyone's fell asleep. The entire town has fell asleep. Yeah. And then you all wake up and you can't really remember falling asleep. Yeah. And you just get on with your life. But did you know, have you ever had it, James, where every woman of child's bearing age it's... is all of a sudden pregnant? Unexplained. What's going on here? And all them children come out with white hair and weird, weird eyes. Mate, I think that you'd need a certain type of person to, to fight these quite clearly weird children. What I'm saying, James, is what happens if the whole town was up the duff? A bun in the oven, a pee in the pod, eating for two, knocked up, a bat in the cave, part of the pudding club, in the family way, with child, prego, preggers. This film was weird, wasn't it? I imagine I would have to phone... Um, the weird Scientologist one from the look who's talking, uh, not the male one though, and from Superman, because those are literally the only things you can do. Well, it's weird that this movie has Superman and Luke Skywalker in it. Yeah, it's weird. And <laughs> and somehow, and so it, it, it was, do you know what though? I remember watching it. <laughs> I'm going to stick up for Carpenteria again. I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say this. Children, children aren't that scary when you think you could just punch them. <laughs> just, is there skin in front of you knock it out there's, there's not I never really understood that you know uh, that horror film The Orphan it turns out they go back it's like oh my god it's not a kid it's just a really short person just kick it mm. just kick him you, you, they're small use your height to advantage just like knock them out yeah. anyway your knee is like head high yeah exactly just, just knee him it doesn't matter just knock him out now now this one this one this one has like this one got Christopher Reeve, mate. And the build-up, the build-up, these kids surround him. And do you know how he defeats him? Just thinks of a brick. <laughs> he just thinks of a brick. So the tent scene is a load of kids staring at Christopher Reeve as he's shaking his way and thinking of a brick. Because they, he knows the plan mm. to get rid of them. And they know that he knows, so they try mind reaping. But the, but essentially, the big finale scene is them just staring at Christopher Reeve whilst he's all like he's taking a banging shit. <laughs> I should say we're talking about um, Village of the Damned. No, I thought we might have mentioned that, sorry. <laughs> I also like how in 35 minutes of this podcast, you've gone from Henry Cavill won't to kill a kid to all of a sudden, <laughs> kill the kid, just kill him. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, I, I, really, I remember that as a kid just thinking, it's, 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 I thought it was the coolest thing because you I would have expected like, you know, fire, a bit of gunshot. No, just think of a brick. <laughs> just think of a brick wall. You've got this. It is, it is a weird film, and, and I, I think iconic. And this is a thing about John Carpenter as well. A lot of his movie posters are stunning. They are stunning. They are, you know, brilliant pieces of art. And I think this certainly is one of those where just that image of, you know, all the kind of white-haired, grey-haired kids. It's like the red hairs children, yeah, yeah, with their eyes just glowing. It was a, it was a tour de force. Do you know what? It's never on anything. It's hard to come by this movie. Yeah. yeah. That's a shame. James, do you have a vampire problem? If you do, I've got, I've got. <laughs> if you do, you probably need Jack Crow, self-assured, smart-ass vampire killer James Woods, and his sidekick, 
one of the Bolden brothers. Yeah, not the, not a decent one either. Was it the best vampire film in 1998? Fuck no, Blade was. <laughs> but this is a nice gory was, romp. Was it the best Baldwin? No, Alec was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this movie didn't suck as much as other vampire movies from the 90s. We are, of course, talking about John Carpenter's na- uh, of uh, John Carpenter's Vampires. It was all right. I didn't mind this movie at all. I actually quite enjoyed Vampires. It, it, it was the right level of, like, silly gore. And it was the right time. It was the right level of vampires. Because at the time, vampires were starting to... You know, we go through ibs and flows. I think vampires was getting... Just started then, mate. Well, it, yeah, and it had this thing as well where... It sets up Jack Crow, who's a wicked name as well for you, for your guy. He's, he's like, you know, he's got this backstory. He's I would like, like to point out his name's John Crow as well. But he makes it? people call him. No, he makes oh, people call him Jack. Oh, well, Jack yeah, but his name's like called Jack. John. They, they, they go by Jack, don't they? Yeah, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, that. I was, I was saying that's really funny. Sorry, but, you know, he's got this, <laughs> dropping he's, facts. He's got this backstory about, uh, you know, his, his his dad was bitten by a vampire. and He didn't tell his, his family, and he took <laughs> his mum. And so he really, he fucking hates vampires, James. He, you know, he's not just on like. A basic level, like you or I might hate a vampire. He yeah. really fucking hates them. He, he hates them. He hates them more than necessary. Yeah, <laughs> like, just... I hate vampires because they kill innocent. Well, he hates them even more because yeah. they kill people even more innocent. And he, you know, he, he doesn't like people at the cloth, you know. But he he has this like this motley crew that basically go during the daylight and they basically stake a load of vampires, drag them out into the sun, and watch them burn. Yep. And they bring a priest along with them to say a prayer as it happens. And it is one of them films that starts off putting James Woods' character as the alpha. You're like, fucking hell, he's like badass. Like sunglasses, leather jacket, middle of the desert, taking fucking vampire names. But then actually <laughs> the vampire that comes out of this is proper badass. Like and yeah. there is a scene where he basically goes through the group murdering them all. And it's like, as a kid, I remember watching it way, again, way too young. I was like, this movie's fucking metal. It's so cool. I think it's the only film where James Woods is cool. (laughs) It is hard to admit I like a James Woods movie. I think it was this in Casino. I think that's it. I think those are legally the only ones you're actually allowed to watch. Uh, My memories of vampires. Remember thinking when it's on, you go, is this Blade? Oh no, it's the other one. It's the other other 98 (laughs) vampire movie. If this film was on now, I would watch it. If I I sat down on telly and it was like, next up after the news is... John Carpenter's Vampires. I'd watch, I would stick around and watch it. Do you know what? So would I. I think that's a great place. It's mm. Hidden Gem again. You're not really going to see that much. It used to be on like Channel 4, I think, like like Wait. on Sunday night, like 10 o'clock randomly, like every other Kate, six when weeks. When I had cable and your channel's like TNT and Bravo, this was one of them kind of movies. Bravo gets a lot of love in this podcast. Bravo had a Bring lot back. of zombie movies. It had a lot of horror and a lot of boobies. Bring back Bravo. Um, I want to go big, James. You're going huge. I'm going to go big. I want big trouble in a little Chinatown, please. A film so odd, I actually thought I dreamt it up once. <laughs> I was like, that film that film can't be true. So you said that you were talking about heroes that, you know, just blue collar men. Yeah. Maybe they don't, maybe they don't even have a, a coat. <laughs> maybe they've literally got a vest. And maybe that film, do you know what? As introductions go, I really hate Kurt Russell's character because he's just on the, he's like blowing everyone up. He's talking, he sounds like an asshole. He's, for those that don't know, the film opens up and he's in a truck and he's mm. just like, yo, Gary, shout at me. You know, hoops, what's going on? But mm. like, no one's talking to him because you don't care. Now, Big Trouble in Little Chinatown is also a phenomenal, phenomenal take. It's like a comedy, film, action, fantasy, martial arts. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like, he well, didn't many, know what it wanted to be. How many boxes do you actually want ticked? You want a bit of romance? Yeah, stick Kim Cattrall in it. It's great. Um, at the end, you're like, this isn't weird enough. Put a weird monster in it. Yeah. Put a Yeti monster in it, the last scene. And we're talking about films that, um, so we see the the world through uh, this character's eyes, uh, Jack Burton. Mm, strong wicked name. name. Um, he goes by John on weekends. 
And he basically, what's really weird is here is, is if he's not in the film, the film doesn't change because this is one of these, the side character, the, the, the side character called uh, Wang, he is the main character because yeah. it's his story. And Jack just happens to be there. Like, in, like you know that character in the background that says a witty remark? Mm. Now he's in the foreground. He's, he's actually, he's literally... He's in the, the guy who lied on his CV. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, he's literally in the way of the storyline. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm here. Every time he's there, storyline stops. But that's not even it. You know, you've got villains, villains that want to take over the world. You've got aliens, they're shape-shifting. You've got children that want to read minds and destroy the world. You've got uh, monsters on Mars that want to do stuff. No, what I want from a bad guy is a guy that really needs to marry a girl with green eyes so he can break an ancient curse. That happens. <laughs> sorcery, mate. Sorcery. We, we don't know the ins and outs of sorcery. Uh, and one of the things we said at the beginning about John Compton, takes a risk. Mm. You know, no one's going into like uh, fantasy, Asian Asian fantasy elements. Get James Wang in here. Uh, one is it? I can't remember who plays the... Uh, is Dennis Dunn? Oh, uh, James Hong as David LaPan. One of the best villains ever. Just cackling. It's a fantastic start off as that. Like, I remember when I first saw him, it terrified the piss out of me when he plays the old character. He like strokes his beard at a weird angle. Yeah. Then I haven't seen this film for a while. Maybe that's what it was like. Raiden shows up from all combat, a bit of a lightning fight. Mate, there's so much going on in this film, but it doesn't matter because all you need to know is Kurt Russell's trying to bank Kurt. Uh, Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall. Whilst, uh, Kurt Russell's trying whilst, to bank Kurt Russell. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> while uh, Wang's going around trying to literally get the stuff, he's like, it's my girl I've got to save. I do not know why you're here. Go away. But the only thing you need to remember about this film is, is the original white, <laughs> all of this storyline, but the white vest that Kurt Russell sold for like eighteen million dollars at yeah. auction. I like it that in the in that Death Proof movie that Tarantino did with Kurt Russell, the the vest is in the background in a in a glass display case. Yes, um, I absolutely love this film. This film's great. This film is so bonkers though. Um, and the end, Kurt mate. Russell plays an Uzi <laughs> Uzi wielding truck babe. Yeah, that's how you get it. Um, as I recall, one of the greatest introductions to a character because I hated him. I hated him straight off the bat. It's the story of a man who went to play dominoes and get some clams and he ends up in a tale of magic, supernatural enemies and a mystical man of evil, Lopan. <laughs> Lopan. It's brilliant, mate. Box office bomb. Cool oh, mate. Phenomenal. Top three? It's... it's I, I it, didn't think it was in your top three. I'm saving your top three for the final three. It's not in my top three. Yeah, I didn't know whether you were going to throw that wild card in there, James. I didn't know whether... No, it, but one of the ones I'd like to star, Asterix, and just say, you need to watch this film. Yeah, it is great. It, it, uh, so, I know what you're thinking, James. It's May. It's raining. What's going on with the weather? It's going a bit quicker. Well, thank God it's not foggy, James. See, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm segueing into this one. Yeah, you're talking about because we're fog. Precinct 13, right? <laughs> <laughs> because with fog comes ghosts of a vanquished leper colony, no, no. hell bent on revenge for their ancestors. What? It's so specific, isn't it? It's it's not. It could just be ghosts. No, no. It's, it's mariner ghosts from the leper colony. It's like fucking hell. This is the James Herbert book, isn't it? It's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And um, this is the thing I don't. This is the, I pondered this a lot recently. Is how come in any ghost movie, this included, it's ghosts of an age gone by, like eighteen hundreds, and like they've not done anything before. They've yeah. waited till now to do it. It's never like you know Chad from ninety six with a Smash Hits t shirt on. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, <laughs> I, I had this argument with someone at work the other day. They were talking about ghosts. Like, well, ghosts aren't real, and then they were like. Oh no, they are. There's always photographic evidence. And I said, it's funny since we got HD cameras on our phones and phones are literally everywhere. There's no fucking definitive proof of ghosts. Mm. <laughs> what a twat. It's like it's like these like TV programs like Ghost Hunter. Like paranormal ghost Orbs. hunters. Or dust your house. <laughs> like, <laughs> just 
it's like season 17 and they've not seen a ghost yet. Like, who's watching this shit? My, my favourite thing is when they always go, oh, it's, it's orbs. Orbs are when they put the night shift mm. and there's a big bit of dust. Yeah. Fast. Or when or when the table moves, when there's only like seven people touching the fucker. <laughs> imagine if they got to like season 17 of Bake Off and they're like, right, this week we're going to actually break some breads. You've got to fucking at last. Because <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing up until now? <laughs> I like a ghost film ghost story yeah. and the fog actually is it was remade wasn't it it was remade uh 2005 six, i want to say it had the guy from smallville in it oh tom wheel wheeling it does sound familiar i think it did as i recall poison it was shit yeah i did, I did remake and go turn it down to well but uh, but again growing up i was a big fan of the fog i actually quite liked it again it was one my, it was on sci-fi channel my my favorite thing about the fog is i remember once saying i was trying to i was You'll help me out here. I was like, what is that horror film? Uh, iconic. It's got Jamie Lee Curtis in and I can't remember it. And someone went, The Fog. And I went, no. <laughs> and he went, no, the the famous one. And he went, The Fog. I was like, no, not the, the good one. <laughs> the Fog. That's like, no, that's not. It's Halloween. How? We live in a world where someone thought The Fog was better than Halloween. No. No, James. That happened. Uh, the Fog. Do you know what? Selma Blair was in it, the remake. Not for me. Not for me. I, I wasn't. A huge I, fan. I didn't think it was going to be in your top three, but I, it's worth it mentioning. I think as far as horror goes, um, I I've got a soft spot for the fog. I think I think I, I like, enjoyed it. I like the ending with the crucifix because it was stolen gold. Is again, that right? Again, bleak endings, <laughs> mate. Are you, I do what if you come out of the film thinking good things. I'm sure that happened, mate. You're talking about bleak endings. The bleakest ending, go back to the beginning of this, is Ghosts of Mars because they get back to Earth mm. and it turns out the curse has followed them. Because, because because Natasha is in a cell, and Ice Cube comes in with a gun and says, "We've got to kill these. We've got to kill these monsters." And she's like, "Lock and load." And the, the scary ending is there could have been a sequel. <laughs> I was like, "Fuck me! This film never ends." Now, I know what you're thinking, James. I know. Stop playing. The president's in danger, mate. He's being kept hostage. Oh, mate. He's in New York, Manhattan, oh. criminal wastelands. Oh, do you know? Anyone with an eye patch? I know the one. Mate, Jack. Jack's a cool name. Jack Power. Jack, what was that one that you said that you really like? Jack Crow? Yeah, it's good, mate. Snake. Snake Blitzen. He's a badass name. He's fucking badass. Don't you pretend with your little Snyder years, all right? He's fucking phenomenal. I was phenomenal. a big Metal Gear Solid fan. Oh, all right. I'll let, I'll let you off. Snake, I was a huge Metal Gear Solid Snake fan, Blitzen, man, is the man. I've never got into this and I'm certain someone smarter, wiser than us who listens to this podcast might be able to let us know. But it, so is, is, is Metal Gear Solid based on that character? Because that's Snake Pilsen as well. And he also has an eye patch. I think it's like an alternative reality is what it is. Is that right. that's what they could have been? Because they're eerily similar. Like, there's not many eye patch people. I, I I believe that's the case. Which came first? It, well, easily the film. Yeah, but I don't know if was, uh, Metal Gear was based on uh, like animes or comics or anything. No, I think I think Metal Gear was before it was the PlayStation game. I think it did have like a Nintendo Game Boy very yeah, kind something. of basic two bit game. Snape Escape from New York mm. is one of my favorite films of all time. Is it in your top three? It. Do you know what hurts? I think I've got this. I think I know your top three. It's not. Yes, I do. It's I not, but this is one that sh is the closest one mm. that it should be. This is rimming. It's four. It's so rimming, mate. It's on rim. And can I just say that um, Escape from New York is one of the best action films of all time. Mm. If you don't know it, 
basically America gone fucked itself. Basically, think Trump if he had got the second term. <laughs> <laughs> and they've walled off due to crime. Because it's easy to do this. You build like a giant war around Manhattan. That is it. Yeah. I mean, because uh, of zombies, you, yeah, exactly. you, you know, you, you, you wall off Las Vegas. It's a common thing. <laughs> so uh, the president's daughter, the president's uh, Air Force One gets shot down, lands in there. President's daughter's in trouble. So uh, Snake Blitzen, who's uh, literally used to work for the government, but it's been a bit of a bad egg. They offer him a pardon if he goes in there and rescues the president's daughter. Mm. And uh, he basically goes in and meets a lot of different characters. I really liked the scene with, <clears throat> I believe he went on to play, uh, voice Chef in, uh, was it Isaac Hayes? Isaac Hayes, yeah. Uh, Isaac It's a great battle in there. Absolutely fantastic film. And do you know what? It's one of my favourite action films of all time. I absolutely adore Escape from New York. It is a tour de force, 1981. Dude, this is one of the ones where the graphics do not hold up. It's a film that I know will get remade, and that hurts me. Yeah. It's a definite, it's one of those films that well, wasn't. the theme has been remade. Has it's loads it, of yeah. times, hasn't it? Yeah. But I just think there's something iconic, especially we're talking about, we were, we've been doing this month of May, we've been doing movie posters, and I've been saving number one. Spoilers, it's probably going to be Jaws. <laughs> but mm. Escape from New York's got an awesome post, one of my favourites, where you see, like, the Statue of Liberty head on the floor, Snake Blitz and walking, it's badass. But Escape from New York, fantastic film. I own it on DVD, uh, Blu-ray, um, like 4K. I don't even have a 4K TV, but I've Escape from New York is ready for when I actually get 4K telly. Escape from LA? So when I first saw Escape from LA, so LA, uh, Escape from LA is a different film set, set later. Graphics have gone up a bit. I hated the film. I mm. really hate Escape from LA because I didn't get it. Something happened to me about five years ago. I rewatched it and I was reading about John Carpenter. Someone said... Why is Escape from LA? Why did you make it? It's literally the same film. And he said, if you think that, you don't understand it. Mm. And that made me think, well, I love you, John Carpenter. You would never done me wrong. Except for Starman. I fucking hate Starman. <laughs> so I rewatched it. And he's got a point. Escape from LA. So uh, John Carpenter, born in New York. He's a New York guy. You know, he's close to the bone. He tells you a story. Escape from New York is about the same character. We still love him. He's still cool. But now everything's grander. Everything's more expensive. He goes around in a taxi by uh, Steve Buscemi, who's showing him the stars. Everything's heightened up. Everything's like neon. But nothing's the same. And do you know what? I actually think he was making a statement about the two cities. I know that sounds really mm. stupid, but like John Carpenter, New York was real. It was gritty. It was determined. It was a story. LA is a flashy, but ultimately there's no substance there. I think... Actually, it was a phenomenal, because what I think in my head is John Carpenter spent like a mil, 100 million pounds to stick the middle finger up and go, fuck you, LA. <laughs> That's what I think personally. And when I watch it with that in mind, I think it's, a, it's actually a pretty good, basically, you know, slagging off of LA. And I've, it makes me respect the film. I think Escape from New York also was one of the last, we talked about this in the last few podcasts, things like Ghostbusters, was certainly the beginning oh, of the yeah. end of portraying New York as a gritty, grimy, <laughs> you know, steam vent city and actually, you know, tourism board was like, stop doing this. You're fucking killing us. <laughs> you fucking just, <laughs> so when you said Escape from LA, I know it's the inferior film, but I think it was supposed to be. And I uh, do you know what? I'm really interested. I mean, you, I, do you, do you agree? Do you even see that? Or am I, I'm, I'm well off on the field. The way, way too long since I've seen LA. Yeah. I, I've seen New York numerous times and, and quite recently as well. And, and it is, the, it's always been in my mind, the superior one, but yeah. I never hated Escape from LA. Oh, I did. I, di I didn't get what people went on about saying it was a bad movie. It's yeah. just New York was the better one. Yeah, so I New York was the better one because it felt like a grimy yeah. wasteland city. Was I generally now in hindsight? I think LA was when you watch LA, you're supposed to feel like that. Mm. We watch cinema to feel things, mm. and and I just think if John Carpenter's true, mate, wow. <laughs> so um, 
we haven't even discussed movies like Prince of Darkness, Assault on Precinct 13, Christine, Which is a great film. Dark Star. Assault on Precinct 13 is brilliant. Well, also, if we've been talking about shooting kids a lot, it's, the, I believe, one of the first films to have a, a child shot on uh, the big screen. Wow. Because it, because it was the first film I remember the villains being the actual villains. Like, they didn't come in and ham it up. Mm. They came in, I believe, that they shot a kid, and it was like, fuck. Well, yeah, was it Assault on Pizza? Assault on uh, uh, no, pe- Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, the original. It's the first. Where they shot a hostage. I've heard And audiences before. were like, what? Yeah, and this one was the first time I remember uh, Escape from uh, Assault on Pizza 13 was the first time I watched the film went, like, that kid has been shot. Mm. It was like, Jesus. Yeah, so it's films like that. So groundbreaking at the time. Again, critics hated it, but I really loved it. It's, it's, it's like a... It's like a tower defense, you know, game based, but in film, it's like mm. they must stay. They like the storyline is to survive, and mm. I've, I quite like that. It's been ages since I've seen it there. So yeah, the remake I've seen more. the remake a few yeah. times, and also you watch this. I remember there's an episode of Punisher in season two, which is very much which is the same. Yeah, it's there to hold up in a in a small town police department while the vill- villains are outside shooting it up. Um, and it is quite a taboo subject, isn't it? Shooting a police station up. You yeah, know, we talked about this with the Terminator movie. I think we always forget how graphic that is. The idea of a killing machine just walking just through walking a police in, station. Just walking in just like, just, just yeah. like nonchalant shooting people. Yeah, the, the horror in that, in how taboo that is, you know, and I, I saw him in Precinct 13, I think is a, and the remake, I didn't, I didn't particularly mind. I actually thought the remake was pretty good. Mate. Um, but I think it's easy time to start talking about what I know is one of James's top three. Yeah. I'm going to put it out there now in the mouth of madness. It is, it's my, do you know what? When we did the list in episode one, and I do Hellraiser, and every time I say it's Hellraiser, there's only one film I've ever watched and not been able to sleep properly afterwards, though, and it's it's in the math matters. I, it 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 takes just it fucks you with the storyline. If it, it uses the storyline to fuck you, like seriously, when I'm driving late at night and I pass a cyclist, I'm terrified that I'm going to pass that cyclist as a kid, like two miles down. Mm. I don't drive at night now because of because of because of kid on bike. <laughs> Oh my god, it's, I'm terrified just thinking about it. And why did they put like a little card on the spokes? It make it freaks me out. I'm, I'm freaking out. This was that obvious. It was written on your skin as clear as a crucifix drawn with a biro. There you go. Uh, several times. Several times. <laughs> uh, when Sam Neill isn't making love to dinosaurs, he spends his free time as an insurance investigator trapped in the surreal dream and hallucinations of author Sutter Kane. Sutter, do you read Sutter Kane? An author whose work can make a man go mad. I remember watching this in. I don't know. I was like teenager again. One of these, like it was two a.m. It was starting BBC on two. Yeah, it's yeah, it like a BBC two, this two one, movie. Yeah. And like, what the fuck was that? Seriously, to this day, what the fuck, mate? Yeah, the t- that terrifies me. This great. The like, I don't know if it's the movie post, but the, the shot of like those two faces melding together. Like, what? Well, that scene was like the two cops are being up, and and then later you see them again, and they're demons. It's like, what is what is? Mate, I don't want to talk about this film. And it, it upsets it, me it so much. It had so many layers to it as well. It had, you know, because it was, it was, it, it existed in a world that we exist in. So it, had, yes. it referenced things like Stephen King and, you know, in, in other famous like yes. horror literature writers. But then at, at one point they rip a page that they're in. Yeah, <laughs> they rip the they rip the fabric of reality. And it's like one of the movies where, and horror does this all the time, where someone's having a nightmare and they wake up, but they're still in a dream, and yeah. then they wake up a second time, and you're yeah. like, oh, you fucker, I didn't that see that. in the fog as well, yeah. Yeah, and the, this is one of them where it's constantly waking up or smashing the screen or walking through into the and, and they're in a different area and jumbled up storyline. And I, I was like, I, what the fuck have I just watched? I loved it, creeped out by it, and also. Sam Neill's a funny one because if you, I love Jurassic Park and to me, like he was the dinosaur man. Yeah. And when you watch him in films like this and Event Horizon, you're like, 
What's wrong with the dinosaur, man, James? Mate, there's you. Yes, I never thought of it like that. When I'm watching Event Horizon, I go, "Why is the why has the dinosaur man pulled out his own eyes?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is that about? Hmm. Okay, do you know what Sam Neil doesn't give? I think the problem is Sam Neil was so popular as Grant that you forget that he's some of his best performances when he was scaring the piss out of you. Do you know what? And it, even talking about this film has made me feel uneasy. Well, the, Sam Neill was obviously also in John Carpenter, another John Carpenter movie, which was Memoirs of the Invisible Man, starring Chevy Chase. And the reason why I didn't include that in today is because I think that is the movie that that did fail somewhat. Because even though Chevy Chase was the Invisible Man, there's still too much of him in that movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Chevy Chase fan. And the, I sometimes am. You know he's big. Hits. I am in like vacation, like yeah. Christmas, like National Lampoon's Vacation. I will always watch that Christmas week because it is one of the best Christmas movies, and he is good in that. But um, yeah, Sam Neill's in that one as well, and he plays the um, the Doctor, basically turns him invisible. I do. I can't remember. Mm. I can't remember that one. Collaborators with John Carpenter is quite fascinating. But Mouth of Madness, if you haven't seen it, do hunt it down. You do need to hunt it, it down. Is, if you, I mean, if you're a horror fan, you've probably, you, you, I imagine you've already seen it, but if, if you've never heard of it, just watch the trailer on YouTube and think, what the hell is that? Yeah, so, so horror for is like gory, taut, thriller. This one's, this one's the only one I know that is, you could describe as unnerving. Like you can't trust anything. Is that and, another John Carpenter trait though? Because a lot of his movies yeah. aren't necessarily bloody and gory. Well, actually, it's a funny mention. You said paranoia. Paranoia runs throughout all of these. Even in the Escape from LA and, and Escape from New York, it's about the paranoia that I believe in one of them he gets infected as well. So the paranoia that he's been infected. You know, the, the paranoia runs after you. Mm. The thing. You know, Christine. You know, all of these films. There is. Uh, they live. Prince of Darkness. Uh, Ghost of Mars. Paranoia. That maybe that film's not finished mm. <laughs> and it's still waiting in the background. Just a paranoia. But no, good shout. It's my number three. So I've got three films left to talk about. So for your top, for your number two, yeah. I know what your number one is. It's obvious it's the thing. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's difficult. Your it? number two, there's two films then that we're going head to head with. I don't, right. So I'm going to do, these aren't the order, but. These are mine. Just remember that they're yours. Yours. I know what yours is. Yeah. These, these are my top three. Okay. The, these next three. Oh, I'm did, just I'm trying to figure out whether they live is your number two or did, if it's Halloween. Just did what film did we just talk about? I've lost Mouth it. Mouth of Madness. Yeah, that not top. You get your top three. No, no, because I, I love Halloween and I love They Live and I love the thing. It's, yeah, the, 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 the Mouth of Madness to me is Big Trouble, Little Chinatown for you or uh, Escape from New York. Go for it. So I think your number two is uh, They Live. I come to kick, chew bubble gum and kick ass. That's exactly what I put here, James. James, did you come here to kick ass and chew bubble gum? Because Roddy Piper did. And he's all out of bubble gum. This, uh, I, I think this is your number two because I think you're very much against the system as well, James. I think you're an anarchist at heart. I, do, you, I, do you know what? <clears throat> do you remember when you loved music, mate? You're a music guy. You're the music man. Do you remember the music scene, I imagine, in, in the late 80s? You know, it's all pop. It's good. And then grunge came. Mm. Nirvana came. They, they, you know, tells like 23. It told you that it was all right to rebel, to be different, to go against. Well, for me, um, I had that as not as not a as not a person of music, and I didn't see it when it came out in the 80s, I think like 94, when I saw the film They Live and I saw Rowdy Roddy Piper put on the sunglasses, see the commercialism in your face, buy, sell, buy, exist. I thought, fuck you. Get Rage Against the System, They Live is one of the most perfect films I've ever seen. Just just wear sunglasses and shoot people up in a fucking store, mate. That's <laughs> I wanted to live the Rowdy Roddy Piper dream. I sorry, I've, I'm fucking mate. Just on the wrestling theme, though, Roddy Piper. So he was the Scottish one, right? Yeah, he wore a kilt. Did yeah. he have the two by four? No, that was that was Jim Duggan. Or was it? I was trying yeah, to. Jim, Jim Duggan was the one who went oh, and had American flag as well. Right, because there was a scene in this where he picks up a two by four, and I was like, is that a nod to his no. wrestling career? No. Um, 
So, yes, what if I told you that the brain-dead world of consumerism is all fake and the real world is, in fact, grey and controlled by aliens who are subliminally using messaging to keep us at bay while ultimately the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the middle class disappear? I rewatched this film this week. I, I love this film. This is in my top three. This is my third spot. It, I, I don't care about the ageing stuff or anything like that. What I love about this movie is from the moment he turns on his sunglasses, Roddy Piper is a different person. Yep. So, um, you know... I think what he lacks in bubblegum, he also <laughs> lacks in subtlety. <laughs> because the, it, the movie fucking changes, not just obviously because he sees the world for what it really is, takes off the rose-tinted glasses and he puts on the, the ones actual glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and from that moment on, he pretty much just fucking shotguns anyone yep. that is not human yep. in a very which, which graphic is a lot of people. Way. Yeah. yeah. In, front, in broad daylight. Now, going go through it though, this movie is, is probably the slowest paced of a lot of Carpenter's films. Yeah. There's, um when we talk about Paranoid, like they're all homeless and living like in the vacant lot, but there's like the constant police like circling them mm. and everything like that. Yes, but it's very slow. I think it's a commentary though on, a, and again, the growing homelessness and the, I think yeah. a, a lot of the outcomes of, um you know, recessions and stuff like that that I think Carpenter was seeing at the time or certainly what I read about. I like the idea as well that Roddy Piper's character is this nomad traveling town to town who still believes in the American dream at the beginning. Believes if he keeps his mouth shut, works hard, um, fortune will come his way. And I really like that about that character at the beginning. There's also a scene where he's like taking a, taking 10 minutes from the construction job and he's got his shirt off drink and you're like, no one's questioning why he's super jacked. Yeah, don't you know, like, you. Look at that homeless man, that nomad who's fucking clearly been in the gym. Well, yeah, because everyone knows that homeless people are jacked. <laughs> well, <laughs> everyone knows that. Keith Davis as well, who's going to come up in a few moments in, in the top spot. Keith David is, is brilliant in this. Yeah. He is fantastic and it's really nice to see him in a in a because he's quite predominant in this film mm. like as the as the he's quite a demanding actor though I think he's quite a I think he dominates scenes that he's in and the weird thing about this is in 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 going into the final act of the movie there's a ten minute fight scene between the two of them that yes. doesn't end yeah it just keeps going like if that film was shot now there'll be a couple of punches they'll take a tumble but it, it just keeps going for about ten minutes I uh you know I actually agree with everything I do want this film this beautiful boilerplate as well it's it's telling you a very Tell you a very simple story, you know, like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, but for no reason and no no need as injected aliens and subliminal messages, where you could easily tell that story without that. But fuck it, that's why I love you, John. I Carpenter. suppose so, textually it could be because it's the idea that there are the super rich, the one percent that control everyone. Yeah, no, I get um, it. But, he, but I like the look of the aliens as well. This kind of like clear nineteen fifties throwback feel to massive these eyes, kind of like wrinkly face. I love the watches that they've all got. They communicate, which no one ever notices. Yeah, <laughs> like normally. So the idea is that these sunglasses like show the real world. So when he looks at advertising, he just sees instead of like seeing like a the hot guy drinking a Coke, he sees like just the words obey. Yeah. And then buy. Reproduce. Reproduce. It's basically continue. Don't, the status quo. All of these things that basically you read that just keep you in place. It's a great dick on commercialism, great dick on capitalism. It's John Carpenter just, te- just telling you, like telling you a story. It's just sticking like, it to the man. Sticking it to the man. In one of the ultimate stick it to the man moments. Now, do you know what really pisses me off? Not many people know this film. It's not a well, obvious filmography. It's not one of his more known ones. Do you know what I think? No, because they live. Now, you could argue it's because pe- people don't like the message of it. <laughs> Capitalism. Mm. Shoot, shoot up a bank. <laughs> Somehow get away from the police. <laughs> like, the police are shit in this as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I don't think that. I just think it's it's because the, there are more famous films. But I really like this film, and you need to watch this, because they live is, is a superb film. I love this film. I remember the first time I saw this film just thinking... 
this is amazing. Mm. It's, but you are right. As soon as those sunglasses go on, he might as well be the Terminator because it's just like all that character. There's none. Just no, like yeah. I'm gonna wear a, like a lumberjack shirt and shoot. He's everyone. a horse because <laughs> he just rides through town taking names with a shotgun, a handgun, and anyone in his way. And I, what I like about it as well is I love the use of black and white. And, yes, and, and and the fact that you only really see one. I think it's one of the creatures at the very end in color, and it has an element of comedy to it throughout the whole movie as well. Yeah, um, it's a uh, it's ridiculous. It's it's you know like the ending, the idea that there's a single satellite dish that's yeah, not guarded yeah. by anyone. You know, if like if that was the thing keeping your super being uh, species under the radar and you know and, and hidden, maybe maybe, get two. maybe put a fence <laughs> around it, <laughs> like, put a guard around it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe hide it a little. Yeah, <laughs> just be like no, nothing here. Like, I don't know what you're about. There's no, there's no chance anyone with a shotgun or call it. Like I like as well the layers of it as well. Like it just it. There's there's brilliant scenes of um, you know like where they're in a back alley and the aliens are, are closing in on them and then they figure out what the watch does and it takes them underground to this like network of tunnels and then you you know, you see the people indoctrinated into this group you know and there's this big ceremony and then there's even like a teleporting system to like Mars and all this. Just why one never? What? Why one never? Exactly. And it just goes and then then they go to the newsroom and they you know and they're controlling the media and it's just. It, the, at the end, the last thirty minutes is just like a showreel of like, oh, and I thought I'd put this in the movie as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just brilliant. It, I love it. I, I love it because it's a film that peeks behind the curtain and shows you what's behind it. You know, so the mystery is like it's like it, we've you told know. you everything. <laughs> it's yeah, like, there's nothing left. To, you're like, okay, well, that's it. That's it. Oh, there's no, there's no sequel because we know that entire movie. Um, and it also obviously has the uh, self-referencing in it, doesn't it? It has yeah. a news reporter say, you know, John Carpenter's name in it and about how he's corrupting uh, young viewers Ag- with his horror. Again, because he was, the film's anti-it, they would be saying that. Yeah. And I just, and that's a, that's, a, that's a good nod or nod. That's that's a nod and a wink. Mm. That's, that's a, you know, you know. <laughs> so that means that not in James's top three, but in my top three, uh, in number two, is Halloween. Yeah. It's, it's, it's star asterisks. It, how could it not be? It's a classic. It's amazing. It's brilliant. Um, there's no breaks on this ghost train, James, because next stop is Haddonfield, Illinois. You know, James, as a young girl with big dreams in the small town, all you want to do is, um, you know, party, see your friends, but no, you're babysitting this Halloween, James. You can't get dressed up as Wonder Woman like you really wanted to. But don't worry, it's not like the crazy boy who 15 years ago killed his sister is going to escape from the mental institute, learn how to drive and come back and start slaying people on the street. Oh, no, wait, James. Yes, he is, because it's Michael Myers. Is he Michael Myers, mate, or is he just or is the shape? We know, the we know, shape. we know he's Michael in this. No, no, I just do you know? What? I always found that was scarier mm. when he was the shape. The shape. I thought that was cool. Um, he will shank, slice, and stab his way through the neighborhood. Boom! Nineteen seventy-eight masterpiece. Halloween is my second and my favorite Halloween, my favorite horror movie, my favorite Halloween movie, uh, and I mean that as in the, the, the season, genre, the of, season, yeah. <laughs> um, and Halloween movie actually. <laughs> but I love. What, I, even better than the season. <laughs> the season of the witch, mate. I just done a double entendre. I like I like all the Halloween movies equally, but this one just a little bit more actually. Halloween is uh, we did this in the Halloween episodes just gone. Yeah. It's my it's one of my favorite. It doesn't age well. It doesn't, but it's the catalyst the, for so much. The long shots when you're following him around was that the re, is that the sequel? It doesn't matter anyway. It's really good. The fact that you see him and the long continuous shot. We follow the victim and you see him in the background. One, the pacing. Mm. That's really that's great movement of like there's a scene where he's like where someone's put the washing out and he's just stood there. I like to think he was just checking on it. It's yeah, like, maybe I could bring Sniffing. it in. Yeah, he's like, yeah, like, like oh, is, it, is it dry enough? Yeah, <laughs> nah, I'll leave it. 
There's um, oh shit, a person. What am I? It is ter- I, it's I, terrifying. He's you know being called the shape, you know, but he is an imposing force. The the, the size of this character and there, he's terrifying. There are scenes where like like say he kills someone and he's just looking at the the the, the light going out of their eyes and he's a horrible merciless um, killer in this film. I, I the, the Halloween to me, I think he's always as a as a kid and going into adulthood is the reason why I freak out when I go past a window at night when the curtains aren't drawn. That is, this is the movie that did that to me. Do you want ruined it for me? It's scary movie. When... Don't bring scary movie to the table, James. I say every week, don't bring scary movie okay. to the table. No, go on, what's your point? No, is when you see the man, when he stood there menacing, he's looking at you and you're terrified and then the main character will look away and then turn back and they're not there anymore. It's the image of that when that person runs away, that they fucking leg it. Just yeah. like, fuck. <laughs> And I, well, there is every a scene time I watch that and I always think that when there's I a scene in Halloween where she see, she's walking and this is the thing as well it's like the first couple of times she thinks she sees Michael it's quite subtle yeah or the shape you know like he's she looks out the window in the, in a, in the school and she sees him and then he's yeah. gone but there is a scene where she's walking and he's literally like 10 feet in front of her looking at, you know round a hedge at her and when they get to the hedge, they look down the side of the ass. And he's not there. He must have fucking sp- mate. Like he was ran. You just saw him in the leaves, like peeking out. Like, yeah, <laughs> fucking cardio, mate. That's why he's walking for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he's blowing out his ass. Is it pulled a muscle? <laughs> fucking monster energy drink. Like fucking old down, babes. Old down. But um, yeah, because there's a lot of unknown to it. Like you know, it was only into the sequel which they oh they introduced nah. the idea that they were related. But then they undid that in the later one. Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, said it in the last Halloween movie that there's a rumor. Just, yeah, idea. but but in this, you know, he has this fascination with Laurie Strode's character. You know, and, and um, that whole Halloween <laughs> night is to me is iconic. I think I love it. I love the opening to this movie. I love you know just the the imagery of that um, that pumpkin. You know, as all the names are coming up in bright orange and that score and everything about it, it's the for me, it's the ultimate Halloween film, the season. which leaves us no place to go than the number one spot, which we've already done a whole episode dedicated to. Uh, the old main event, James. I like my horror with a side of mystery and a slab of sci-fi. I like my Kurt Russell hairy, and I like my effects practical. If I'm in the Antarctic, you best believe I'm packing a flamethrower and a questionable amount of dynamite. I'm talking, of course, about the thing. Mate, if you took all the elements that we love about John Carpenter, you get the thing. Dark foreboding setting. Got it. Working class hero. Got it. Relatable characters. Got them. Realistic scenarios. No. <laughs> That's not what we watched John Carpenter for. Do you think we watched Go Somewhere for the for the realistic? No, we wanted we wanted just the ultimate horror. Men <laughs> living together, being men. Um everything being about paranoid this, of each other. Everything about this film is brilliant. Even like the cheating chess machine, because the, the chess machine is cheating, isn't it? It doesn't mm. have an illegal move. It is everything we love. Shape-shifting alien or organism. Trying to survive in the world. So many questions unanswered. The bleak overtones of the ending. What does it all mean? Are they answered? No. Some of the best films aren't. I, I, this to me is is pinnacle. It's in the vault. Mm. It was. It's like engraved in the vault. It's one of the first films. Episode one. You mentioned it's your best horror, as I recall. Yeah. It's worthy of its iconic status. John Carpenter's uh, Genesis Qua. It's uh, what do you call it? Masterpiece. What What is that word? Opus. Opus Magnus. Uh, Opus Magnus. It is 
the greatest thing that he'll ever whisper, utter into the world was John Carpenter's The Thing. The Thing. Worthy of it. Worthy of the status, worthy of the legendary status some, some 30, 40 years later and he's still one of the best films ever made. Yeah, what was this, 82 or... Is it I believe it's 82, 82 yeah. And the, the, the thing with The Thing as well is that it's not a direct sequel to The Thing from Another Planet, obviously the, the, yeah. the movie, the black and white movie that came from it. But what it did, it certainly gave the impression that it was a sequel, you know, and, and which laid the groundworks easily for the se- for the prequel that came out years to come. But there's so much about this movie, good and bad, that I love. I mean, the practical effects are absolutely top notch and I don't care how old they I look and how aged. The, the horror, the horror of, the body horror of heads turning into spiders and... Um, you Scuttling know, away. Yeah, and body chests, parts. Chest opening. Yeah, it's a horrific... Um, you know, horror movie in, in all, in, in, in its tones and its, its visual effects. Um, there's so much questionable about it. How does Blair build a, build a spaceship while he's being held hostage in a shed? Where does he get, where, how does where he, does he get the, the parts or anything? <laughs> like, like, he does it overnight, James. He builds a fucking spaceship. There's so much about it that we'll be watching. I'm like, that don't make sense. And, but I love a, I love the whole film. I love I love it. I would really <laughs> like to have seen a John Carpenter's prequel. The only thing I ever wanted desperately was for a lot of them to survive. Mm. And the only way they could make this film better was was halfway through the film, the police arrive and they arrest everyone and then they have to explain themselves. And he goes, well, why did you try and kill McCready? And one of them go, well, I found pants in the snow with his name on it because he's like, fucking what great evidence to kill a man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basing on evidence, how did you know he was a... Uh, uh, an alien well I vaguely remember turning my light off <laughs> and 24 hours later it was on just like oh that's good that's good do you know what it's all bollocks but it's great bollocks it's brilliant it's bollocks it's, it's fun McCready quite possibly maybe the coolest mm. A to Z of fictional characters I believe M was McCready for me because he used the daddy I, and, I, and I stand by it that McCready was an alien at the end I do you know what I don't care I know the obvious one is that it was Keith Davis was and we we did this in the thing episode. That we we talked this to death. I see, yeah. Certainly, John Carpenter alluded to that uh, the prequel is canon, and in that they introduced the idea that uh, the alien cannot reproduce gold or metal. So they talk about fillings, and Keith Davis certainly has. I think it's an earring or a tooth cap or something, which would suggest that he's human at the end of that movie. Yeah. Meaning that if Carpenter says one of them is an alien by process of elimination, it must have been McCready. And I actually thought that would have been a really cool ending if your hero actually was the villain by the end of it. Do you know do you know how I feel about the ending? It ends with them freezing to death. Futility, distrust. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm Finn. I'm mm. ha- I'm happy I'm happy living in ignorance. Just like uh, Inception, we never talked about. Oh, what happens at the end of Inception? I do not care. <laughs> it's like it, it's Finn. So what happens it, at the end just, of Inception? I go to the toilet because that film's fucking long, James. <laughs> just, just Finn, mate. Just Finn. Mm. Yeah. So that's John Carpenter. I mean, obviously, we haven't talked about his whole filmography like we talked about. We didn't talk about Prince of Darkness and yeah. Dark Star and and uh, Memoirs of the Invisible Man. But did you, Christine? I, mean, I you, like you, Christine. I was just say you're a big Stephen King fan. So was there a lot? I think of all of the adaptations. The Shining is obviously the top one. Well, I'm maybe, you know, second. Well, The Shining does all, does there actually also divide people, doesn't it? Because of the, the, oh, the true, true fans don't like Kubrick's interpretation. I like, again, The Shining movie because Jack Nicholson's performance is, he looks scarily like my dad growing up. So, yeah. you know, and we talked about this as well with The Shining when we did the, the Doctor Sleep in Shining episode that, problem with that movie is Jack Nicholson is fucking crazy at the start. There's no deterioration <laughs> of his mental health. He's fucking batshit before he even starts that. Um, so is, is it this? I don't know. Is it this? Is it the best adaptation of his 
I mean, I think that's a low bar for King in it terms is of very movies. Because even know, King's tried to adapt his own movies. Yeah, we're all tripping failed. over Dreamcatcher, and I suppose the It remake, you know, the, 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 the part one was was pretty good. Do you know what that's if we ever do Redemption again? That I should do that because I don't get It Chapter One. Whatever loves it, I just don't. Oh, get It Chapter it. One was wicked, it, but it, but it, but it, it rode the coattails of Stranger Things. And I'm not just saying that because Finn Wolfhard's in it, uh, Wolfgang or whatever his name is, is in it. Yeah. But it had that team bandits coming together to face off a evil that the parents don't see. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the best King adaptation is. It's a hard one. Sorry, man. I, I just meant it's just supposed to be like kickstarted. Certainly not the fucking Dark Tower. I'll tell you that. All right. I just just meant was Christine, which was directed. Well, let's by go with Christine. Then. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, so just to sum up, my top three. Obviously, number one, the thing, and then they live for me, followed by. Uh, in the uh, in the mouth of madness, mm. yours was the, the thing. The thing. Halloween. They live. But I think we both agree on you should definitely check out the fog for a bit of campiness fun. Uh, I think you should check out Simon Precinct Thirteen for one of the, like the action films to take the balls. Uh, Escape from New York. You should definitely watch. You should avoid Starman. We didn't get into it, but I really don't like Starman. Uh, Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. You should definitely watch. Uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. So you can have less of a character. And then weirdly, we both reckon you should check out. John Carpenter's Vampires, <laughs> which is weird. I can't believe that. I cannot believe that. And then if you really want to just, you know, screw it all down the pan, watch uh, Ghost of Mars. <laughs> just an end on the... Fa- so he retired in 98 after Vampires, and he just come back for Ghost of Mars because someone tempted him. He's like, you should come back and do this. He should have stayed retired. He should have stayed, but, but yeah. That's not John, the one to end on, is it? But John Carpenter, what I love about John Carpenter is filmography is small, mm. which means he puts a lot of time, a lot of himself into his movies, and that's why I love those of you, John, and you are one of my top three directors of all time yeah yeah master of horror master of most genres that he, that he dips into ultimate filmography I'll continue watching them for, until I mm-hmm. as long as I'm on this planet I imagine these are films that I'm going to revisit master of my heart um, let's end this week's show then with a talk about the big Netflix release this week which is um, huge Army of the Dead uh, by Zack Snyder so so what's happened here is Netflix has even released a behind the scenes of it it's almost as if like Jack uh, Zack Schneider's done something recently. That's that Hollywood's put a lot of like audiences have have come back to re-respect his work and gone. Do you know what Zack Schneider's got something? It's almost like a disaster of a film came out recently, and Zack Schneider was like, "But that's not the film I directed." Audiences got behind him, and it's like Zack Schneider's become one of the most popular film directors in the world. And then he releases this film, and you start to remember why he fell from grace. No, I'm only joking. Or am I? Let's find out. We're talking about Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead, yeah. But that's not it, though, is it? Because we're doing a film about John Carpenter's, and this is Zack Schneider's Army of the Dead. That's how it's launched. If you did not see that, I've heard, I've seen Zack Schneider's Army of the Dead. I don't think you're there, Zack. <laughs> don't I don't think you're in it with your Watchmen and your Superman and all these 300s, you know, your visionary kind of art style. You can't deny the man has vision. I, and I, you either like it or you don't like it. Do you know what? I think he, my, the Marmite, Marmite and Follywood. Mm. It's true. You either detest the ground or you kiss the in ground. In terms of though, the action explosion, the, you know, the f- I am more Zack Snyder than Michael Bay. Christ, you know, like. Well, that's a good shout. I never thought of it like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, he is, I think he is visionary. And I heard Dave Bautista talk about him recently saying that he's an artist. You can't deny the fact that he is blood, sweat and tears, a filmmaker. Um, he, do you know what he puts a lot of, we just said this about John Goddard, he puts so much of himself in films. So if you haven't seen Army of the Dead, it's a two and a half hour movie that's just been released on Netflix Why? starring Dave Bautista. <laughs> um, and it's a, a filmy, it's a filmy, it's a film uh, based on a, there's a zombie outbreak. So at the beginning of the movie, we get the premise of how this uh, infection starts uh, just outside of uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. When an army convoy is, is 
uh, transporting a um, secret container that from, spills open. From Area 51. Ooh. Exactly, yeah. It's not afraid to throw those nods, though, is it? There's like, so many a lot of winking, A lot of winking at the screen. You know, it's, it's not it's not subtle. Um, <laughs> but anyway, when the, when the virus escapes, when uh, an infected individual escapes, they are drawn towards the bright lights of uh, Las Vegas. And then for a montage sequence at the beginning, we see the outbreak. And our film picks up and our film starts at the moment when we realised that Las Vegas has been walled off. So containers have been uh, put around the, the city to contain the monsters. Um, and there's news that a nuclear bomb is going to be detonated on American soil to obliviate the zombies. So you, so you said, that, so that's where our film starts? Yes. So I sent you this text on Sunday when I was watching it. I said 14 minutes in and the credits finally end. So the story starts 14 minutes into the film. I should say as well that <laughs> although we're not going to spoil the movie, we may talk about some things that could be, or could certainly... Could we spoil the territory? Yeah, so if you haven't seen the movie and you intend to, you probably want to end this week's episode now. We'll see you next week. If not, and you do want to keep coming... I'm not going to deliberately spoil it, but there are no. a few things I want to talk about that are dangerously spoilery territory. It's going to be hard to spoil because a lot of the talking points you have to you have to talk about. Yeah, so, so let's just say now, if you haven't seen the movie, you probably don't want to listen Good night. to, to we'll this. Yeah. See you next time. Um, if you're still with us and you've seen the movie or you're not intending to watch it, the plot then thickens when Dave Bautista's character, who um, you know we see in the opening credits, is a kind of a badass military. Um, knows his way around a, a machine gun. He's now flipping burgers but at a local why? joint. He's turned into like fucking SpongeBob. He's literally, <laughs> yeah. And, and, then, and then Scorpion shows up from the latest Mortal Kombat. I was like, how would you like to make like a billion pounds? It's because like, he sees an opportunity that there's 200 million uh, un, unknown in a vault at the bottom of a casino. Yeah, he's already been paid his insurance money, so he's already got it. So no one's going to miss it. It's, yeah. not, it's not illegal. It's just there. So can uh, Dave Batista, who's a guy who's, you know, at the end of his rope, got nothing left to live for, um, can him and a ragtag group of mercenaries go in, get the money and get out before the nuclear bomb goes off? Now, in terms of how a premise for a movie, that's pretty solid. Pretty solid, but also pretty simple. But for me, a Friday night, mate, sat in front of the TV, a Netflix new release, I've got a bit of popcorn and, and, a, and a Dr. Pepper, sign me up. Because I'm quite a fan of zombie movies, actually, thinking about it. I know we did a zombie episode, episode two. We looked at a lot of zombie films. <laughs> Fucking thousands of them. Yeah, we and, and it was a, used to put effort into them. <laughs> it is a genre that I think, you know, is 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 hard to impress nowadays. But that premise, this idea that they're containing Las Vegas, you'd be stupid to go in there, but there's all this money. Straight away you know that these aren't the heroes that are gonna ride off into the sunset because they're somewhat villainous before they even begin this story. I absolutely agree. So even, I was even like the montage at the beginning where they're kind of like heroes, but at the same time, not really. So here's the thing: that montage scene is very impressive. It is very impressive, but also very unnecessary. It, yeah, but to me, to me, that montage scene at the beginning, where basically, if you haven't seen it, it's a it's basically ten minutes of them of people killing zombies in the creative of ways, including chainsaws, shotguns, and swords. Yeah, and there's a there's a part of me that thinks Zack Snyder is the kid who dreamt of doing a zombie movie, got a, got a, like $100 million and then went and made that kid's zombie movie. It's like, yes, we will have a chainsaw. You why know, wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Baseball bat with spikes. It's basically Dead Rise in the video game. Yeah. Hordes of zombies. Um, I The problem with my first, not criticism, but my first thing is the intro of this film sets up a film that we don't get. Yep. I thought it was going to be like, Zombie land style. I genuinely thought it was going to be Dead Rise, and I thought we were just going to they were just going to mow them down. Yeah, literally like a bulldozer. Yeah, and we know, you know, we know. Exactly I thought how once they, did. they might get locked in like a B and Q and just like create like the ultimate killing machine. Yeah, it, yeah, basically all armored up with like flamethrowers and nail yeah. guns, and it was going to be this real survival film. Um, and we know that obviously Zack Snyder did the Dawn of the Dead remake, you know, which was quite bloody and bloodlusty. Um, 
so this one I think sets up pretty well. You then get two minutes of, of basically setting up a premise, which Mate. I also like. I almost text you going, fucking hell. Like there's a coffee, they're literally in a greasy spoon cafe and the, the main guy's told, uh, been told what the mission is and he's gone, yep. There's no like, that's suicide or no, I'm not doing it. Yep. You'll be crazy. He's just like, yeah, okay. So, and so everyone he goes to, he's like, yeah, I've got a mission. We're all probably going to die, but do you want to do it? And they're all like, yep. Yep. <laughs> so the second text I sent you on <laughs> was the big meeting between Batista and the casino owner is only two minutes long <laughs> setting off the entire story. What I do like about when you're introduced to the characters though, is they start talking about the money and they go to the helicopter pilot and they go, got a job for you. It pays like two mil. And then she doesn't want to know. She's like, no, I'll do it. And then we're like, do you want to know what it is? It's like, it's for two million. I'll do it. So now and I liked that. So now we've hit the helicopter pilot already. Let's talk about this. Do you know about the helicopter pilot in this movie? No. Do you, did you not notice a weird glare throughout the whole film? No. The way certain things were blurry and it looked like it, the camera wasn't focusing. Yeah. So basically... I thought it was kind of on purpose. Though. No, Tig Notario, who plays uh, Marina Peters, the helicopter pilot, yeah. was brought in for reshoots because the original actor, um, Christy Elliott, is under investigation for uh, sex offences, um, included... Well, I'm not going to go into detail, yeah. but anyway, he's removed from the movie. So... Netflix gave Zack Snyder a load of money to basically put Tig Notario in. So she was never on set with anyone oh, in this film. Sure, I thought she did a pretty good job. She thought, you would think she's in them scenes when yeah. she stood next to him. And that is the reason why, again, spoilers, but we've already given that warning, she's pretty much on the roof for the whole movie because uh, she wasn't with the group. David Batista said it. in an interview recently, he says, uh-huh. I've never met the woman. <laughs> yeah, I'm on screen with her for like 40 minutes. <laughs> I get in helicopter, she's driving. <laughs> Which is the wonders He has conversations with her, like several times. Yeah, <laughs> so they, they have green suit, they've taken out Chrissy Elliott's character um, and they've Don't worry, he'll CGI be back. imposed her. He'll be back in like 10 years playing like, you're <laughs> the, the, probably playing Kevin Spacey in my office. It's... Um, <laughs> It, 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 it's quite phenomenal, actually, that they've done that, that that achievement in it. And that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about is they've fucking completely removed someone from the film <laughs> yeah, and put someone else in. So, again, if you were watching this movie and there are certain scenes, particularly when they're outside the casino, there are certain scenes where it's a little bit blurry. It's because they're using technology that is almost completely new and revolutionary. Netflix forked up the like $100 million to do this. Oh. Crazy, crazy money. Um, anyway, back to the storyline and, and back to it. So this ragtag group of individuals going in, and I'm not going to go to all of it. There is, you know, there's about there's a there's a there's everyone. There's, there's a well, there's a big also. There's a theme of, um, you, you know, I think very kind of on the nose um, storyline. <laughs> no, there's a story about refugees that are hanging outside outside of I Las don't Vegas. Get that. And, I don't, I didn't understand it. it I feel it's, it has like the contemporary edge, doesn't it? It's very it much themes a, of borders of Mexico yeah. and walls. And, and, and they're saying, oh, they might be infected, so there's there's no chance they can leave. But then they evacuate them. So I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand your point, Zach Schneider. I don't understand why it's taking 45 minutes for you to make this point. I don't understand. Anyway, Big Dave goes in. Of, of what now, time? And here's, here's, here's where the, the plot thickens is, then we're introduced to the idea that there's a hierarchy of zombie. Do you know what? I, I'm, I was here. I was here. I'm starting to lose it now. So I loved when they walked in and there were fucking loads of dead zombies. And one of the characters, the coyote, she says, they're the ones that are dumb, i.e. the ones that we know from Romero films. Yeah. They're, you know, the old, the film that you've seen that didn't get out of the sun. Because remember, we're in a desert. And also it takes you out of Walking Dead territory, which is one of my problems with The Walking Dead is... Yes, hats off to him. The uh, the art the art department and the the prospects department they, yeah, they right made skin. them de- they yeah. made them deteriorate over seasons. Yeah, but there becomes a point when there's no muscle on the bone. So how's that fucking moving? Yeah, because I'm willing to 
you know, uh, he'll accept zombies. I'll, but, I'll accept but not the skeletons. reanimated dead, but you you can't make a skeleton move. You know, well, say without that the to, muscles attached. Say to that to warm bodies. The villains were skeletons, weren't they? That's right. I remember that film. Yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. But, but no, I get it. So you showed that there's a different, it's different sign to zombies. It, yeah. The is, mythos of zombies that we've had, what, since the 50s mm. has changed. This is the first time I recall this happening. So that's a good thing. Zach Schneider, you've done something good. Because she, now, says, what you she says as well, if it, it rains, she says, if it rains, we're fucked. Yeah. Because they'll all get up again. And I was like, so straight away, I was like, this film, it's going to rain. Like, I was like, there's, there's no way this is not going to happen. She's there, There's no way you're going to throw in that subtle line. Oh. But anyway, then we're introduced to the fact that there's these alpha zombies, Here which again, I quite like that. I the idea that there's an alpha and anyone he bit bites and doesn't an and doesn't maul becomes a, a, an alpha. Now I it, that storyline goes off, and I'll tell you the exact point where that storyline goes off. But as far as I'm concerned, where they have to make a trade and basically like they will then leave us and give us free passage. There's a part of me that was like, I, I quite like that. My problem with that is when you get to that stage and you can trade your passage for a life, for example is they don't need to be zombies. You've kind of, why are they zombies? Why can't they just be infected with something, you know, like, like disease or something? Because, you could say that they are more diseased than zombie. Yeah, but then, but they used, this whole film was based on zombies, Army of the Dead. I just, it, it, to me so far, we're like, so they're not really zombies, it's more of like an alien infection. Mm. And uh, I am starting to lose it. And I'll be honest, I, I was really disappointed with the tiger. Yeah, I did. I saw, I saw, when I saw that and then all the, the trailer, and let's be honest, Netflix is behind this film a lot. You're seeing a lot of advertising. In the advertising on like Facebook when you're on the phone, it, it comes out of the picture. They're putting a lot of stock in this, in this animal that looks cool as fuck but does piss all. But isn't the white tiger like the iconic Vegas thing? Vegas is thing, that yeah. Celine Dion? <laughs> and to be honest, I would have rather a zombie Celine Dion. So. <laughs> I mean, Britney Spears is still there doing Mate, a set. <laughs> she's probably killed them all. <laughs> I... I I, I didn't mind it. I, yeah, the zombie tiger thing I can do without, but whatever, you know. But I think then what the issue is, is then that, you know, actually there is there is actually some really cool scenes like the hibernating zombies, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Very Silent got, Hill-esque. They're very Silent Hill-esque, but, but like, oh, fuck it. All of these very smart people then make a lot of noise. <laughs> you just think you fucking... But the thing is, yeah, it goes goes to that trope, doesn't it? It's like, we, we all know each other. We all live and die for each other. We don't know this guy and he's tagging along with us. Fucking don't trust that guy. Of course he's got an agenda. Of course he's going to try and screw people over. Um, actually, you know what? That would be a good time to talk about the cast. So Dave Bautista, mm. he's a leading man. I think this is the sort of film that shows that he's a leading man. He's a leading action man, and this gave him more range. Oh, I to, thought he was very yeah. good in this. Um, Ella Purnell as the daughter, I thought she was okay. I mean, you're supposed to get like the opposite. Like she rebels. She's the opposite. She's the opposite to her father. Her father was a military man. You know, he's buff. He's strong. He flips burgers. She's she's a vegetarian. She's a volunteer for what I assume is like this world's version of Greenpeace. She's there looking after the refugee families. Now, I quite liked all of the backup characters like the Coyote, uh, Matthias. I think Matthias, and I'm going to butcher this name, Matthias Schwerlugerflu. Well, if you're not even going to give it a go, then yes, you are going to butcher <laughs> uh, it. Is that close? Schweinfelder. Schweinfelder. Anyway. Schweinhofer? Schweinhofer. I'll go with Schweinhofer. As Ludwig Dieter, he was brilliant. He was fantastic. I, I, there's always a character that doesn't know how to kill, and he has a great, uh, I don't know what you call it, like like bromance. Yeah, bromance with uh, Omar Hardwick. Like, Who is the MVP? And I was going to say, Omar, I, that pissed me off. The, the, the certain elements of him really pissed me off. I was like, I can't, I can't go for anyone. <laughs> but his, um, his bromance uh, with the German uh, safe act, like, and I really like this. 
there's a hierarchy. Mm. It's like they must protect him. It's like we Dave Batista will die if they can protect the safe track because they need the safe tracker. Mm. I really like that. You never see that in zombie films or heist movies. Like no one else. Again, going back to the helicopter pilot, she she clocks that very early on. And she's, she's like, like I'm, so he, I'm the second most important because you can't get out of here and a nuclear bomb's on its way. Um, so I really like uh, uh, Nora Razmander as uh, Lily. She was the coyote. So she was pretty cool. She's badass as well. What? Um, Theo Rossi shows up as an arsehole. Everyone knows him from like uh, uh, that biker one, uh, Sons of Anarchy. So he's very good. Now, Garrett Dillahunt is the is the person you were talking about. He's like the one that's not natural to the group. He plays the casino owner's right hand man, and I, uh, Garrett, I'm sure he's like a great bloke. I really hate him. Like every time I see him, he's instant turn off for me. Mm. I hate his acting, I hate his face, and I don't think it's his fault. I think it's because when I met him, he's always you're in the mid season of a TV series. And they always like they have a fallout with the actors. And they always replace him with someone. Mm. It's this prick. It's always this prick, and he always comes in, and the character always turns into like a worm, a sleaze. And when I saw him in this, it was instant like turn off TV here. I really hate him that much, and it, he he doesn't even play a good arsehole in this. It's like he's an incompetent arsehole. That kind of like fumble. It's like Mr. Beans' way to victory. <laughs> it's like he's not competent at any point. He's like. <laughs> Well, Prick. There's a thing. There's a thing about uh, that character as well, and we were fucking balls deep in spoiler territory now, yeah, so we might as well go for it. <laughs> At the point where he double crosses him, which, but let's be honest, that's not spoiler because if you don't see that coming, you've never seen a film. But before. also, why double cross the group that have got a chainsaw? Yeah, you know, like or or why does he double cross them? Later. So yeah, maybe not a chainsaw, like the buzzsaw. Yeah, the thing you that know, can cut them out of the, the cave. The that, yeah, him. the thing that can cut the lock on the door you've just cut, and also. They they hype up bringing that buzzsaw along with them. They don't fucking use it. Yeah, but why? that pissed me off. I was like, don't don't tease us with that. Yeah, imagine he's... being you know, imagine being the guy who has to drag around that not to ever use it in any scene. He's um so his job there is to screw the group over because he he finds out something more valuable than money. And I'm like, I do not give a shit. I, I, by this stage, the wheels are falling off quite quite proper. I don't understand why. If that wasn't your main goal, why would you send these people out? I, I'd be honest, and Zombies is now done. I mean, that's, that's why we're still pretending they're zombies. They, they're just booking plot points. I really started to hate the group. And you're talking about- You're that. never supposed to like them. When, no. when, when your main bad guy, well, uh, uh, Tanaka basically says, there's 200 million, I'll take 150, you take 50, which is a bit of a done deal as well. It's like, well, hold on, I'm going in there getting the, getting my ass kicked. I just, and there's You'd a, at least split 50-50, wouldn't you? Well, there's a scene at the beginning when he's like, why is he here, the, the right-hand man? And they say, oh, it's so that he doesn't screw us over. Uh, it's to make sure that we don't screw, uh, screw anyone over. And then they go, we could be easy. We could say he got shot and got eaten by the zombies and no one would ever know. And I'm on an audience member going, yeah, do that. Mm. Yeah, how are they supposed to know? But then going back to the idea that none of them are actually heroes, like when when you find out that their group are going to get 50 million, Batista and, and, it screws and they're, they're like, yeah, well, we'll take 15 each and then the other 5 million we'll give to the other guys. And I'm certain the maths don't add up. He goes to different people and he's like, yeah, how do you want 500 grand? How do you want 200 grand? And I'm like, yeah. we've gone over budget people. You know, um, anyway, but with the storyline, the, the thing is they get to the vault very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. I mean, I know that there's some some trials that they have to go through to get there, and then they split up. Helicopter woman goes to the roof. The others go down to the vault. You know, two of them scout, which is fucking weird. Like when they say that they're going to go do that, because I don't know. But obviously, it's a plot device. Um, I'm going to come back to my main talking point at the end, which is what happens when they're down in the vault, because that's when the film takes a turn, and there's a wink at the camera that 
are we watching what we're supposed to be watching? And there's this big online theory at the moment, which is really time. fascinating. Yeah. So we'll come back to that at the end of it. But then then it does become a bit player by numbers. It's, it's The group get taken out one by one in gory different ways until, you know, it's last man standing or the, the survivors standing. And then there's this impending doom of this nuclear weapon that's on the way. Thing is, it, it's a two and a half hour movie where when you take when you when you get them in the city, it felt like two minutes. It was like they were walking, they got through this this maze of hibernating ones. Then they're at the vault. Then he cracks the vault. Then they're trying to get out, and it's done. And I was like, how was that two hours? Where did that time go? Like it didn't feel like a long two and a half hour. It didn't feel like Justice League, James. Which, had, which to be fair, just as it was like four hours long. So. Yeah, I know, but we're dangerously like two and a half hours is, you know, in my eyes is, that's basically four. <laughs> it's not that's how mass works to be fair. So. But, but yeah, so I, I, the time thing didn't really bother me. I just, I, for me, it was, you're in a playground, you're in Las Vegas, you're, which is a fucking playground to really just come up with some gory fun. You know, it, it's got this neon, um, kind of uh, marketing strategy, you know, fucking go for it. Make, make Zombieland, but like, as if like, a 13 year old made Zombieland. Yeah. Um, and it, and it did, I, I, I did like the film. I was fucking thoroughly entertained on a Friday night watching this at my house um, on, on the sofa with some treats. Like I, I really, I, it was popcorn fun. Dave Bautista was the strong point for me. The villain, the main bad guy, Zeus, I think they called him. He's awesome as the alpha. I thought really bad, bad guy. Um, the thing as well about zombie movies is, and Zack Snyder does not hide away from this, is is there's a thing about zombie films where you have to go the extra, the the extra gore or the extra uh, nail in the coffin, if you like. And what I mean by that is like, you know, it's not enough in this, you know, we mentioned there's a tiger. It's not enough to see a tiger lock its jaws on a victim. You have to see the tiger then rip away and brains fall out. It has to show you that extra detail that a film... The, the, the last film didn't show you. Yeah, so, yeah. So, because you so don't the next need... film that comes along will show you even more. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff like that in this where you thought, I don't, I, I never felt was it necessary, but then remembered, but it's a zombie film. Of course, it's, you know, the opening sequence, you see a guy with a buzzsaw cutting a zombie in half and then someone's shooting one down as if they're in the movie Rambo and it's just <laughs> obliterating. And you think, yeah, because it set the bar there. It is that film that will go that extra little bit to go, yeah, you, you know, there's a bit where a zombie's head falls off a building. You've watched that head go all the way to the floor till it splatters. We know it splatters because you threw it off a building. We didn't need to see the splatter, but we did. Because it's a zombie movie. We saw it in like very minute detail, didn't we? Like you saw everything. And that works to to the extent, but I didn't get it. You know, there, there is a scene in it as well where a, a certain character dies um, and it's down to someone having to kill that character rather than that character could have just died because they were in a crash. Yeah. And I didn't get why you had to go that extra bit. And you know what I mean? Like you yeah. could have let that character's you know, uh, like storyline end. More naturally. Or, yeah, naturally. Yeah, because yeah, they, they were just involved in a crash. Why do they have to get bitten as well? And it, they, you have to turn and then you have to have that moment of, well, I, I've got to put you down now. And in that horrible, you know, but anyway. It goes from like an emotional ending, which to us, the two characters aren't that connected. So you're just like, yep. Lol. <laughs> yeah, I just I didn't I didn't get that at the end. But I like I say this film I I, I mate, it's called Army of the Dead. It's about a group of people got mercenaries going into Las Vegas to steal a load of money. <laughs> Samuel, I was fine. I was fine with this movie. It was what it was. Yeah, all right, it's two and a half hours long. It didn't feel like that to me. I got enough out of this movie to be like, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. So was that you said that you were saving your last point to last? Was so the it? last point is the fact that this is building a world. So we know yeah. that there's the uh, Army of the Dead TV series coming out for Netflix and there's potential of a movies in this this new dead land. So we yeah. obviously know that the infection is not contained. 
um, there's this idea that what that film is, is multiple timelines and uh, multiple um, scenarios that could have played out. And there's certain key parts to that. So for example, you've already mentioned the henchman says, I have to go in there and see what happens. And is that because he's outside of the time loop and knows that this group go in time and time again and never succeeds? Because there's a scene in the vault scene where you see a load of dead bodies, which are the dead bodies of the of the heroes because they're wearing the same necklace. That's not coincidence. You don't just find a dead body where one of the characters out of key looks at the camera and goes, yeah, we're probably stuck in the time loop. And actually the the villain that sent us in here, Tanaka, is actually a godlike character or a devil. And we're doing this over and over again until we get it right. Um, they, When they break the vault, which is unbreakable, that no one's ever broken into, their guns are already in the vault. They're in the corner. How's that? How did that happen? It's shitty, shitty filmmaking. No, nothing, <laughs> nothing on screen happens by accident when you're making a 200 million pound. You've got enough people watching that. It's placed there for, for people like us now to, to say that was an Easter egg. You've also got the idea that one character survives or at least gets out where he didn't get bit, but at the end of the movie he's bit. So there's this big rumor now going around saying, are we watching the timeline or are we watching a different timeline of that character? Which means that other characters that are dead can come back because we're in a different timeline. So I, I actually think, I really, I really want to see where this world goes because that's something the genre, the zombie genre hasn't given us is this idea, like say, of of consequence and the idea that they're stuck in this time loop. Um, and I think there's a really interesting film in there. I see you rubbing your eyes, James, but for no, me, it's, I quite it's not. It. It, no, that's you don't make your entire trip in. I'm sure a lot of people follow you, uh, agree with you. My problem with it is, I thought it was a perfectly serviceable film. I thought it was an okay film. And as I said previously, you, just like you're right, sometimes your Friday night. You hit it at the right time, pizza, popcorn, a nice juicy Dr. Pepper. Maybe it's the right time for you. I watched it Sunday morning, so maybe that's not the right time. I needed to get it out because it was my first day off and it was a two and a half hour film. Well, I would class it as an okay film. However, what then goes against it and drags it down slightly is I shouldn't have to sit two and a half hours to watch an all right film. So that does bring it down a little to D area. And my biggest problem is, is the, the, all the hype, and this is something that does piss me off about filmmakers, a lot of them, especially Zack Schneider, is is a lot of the hype now, like you said, you've gone through that too, which sounds amazing. But that's not Zack Snyder, that's fans doing that. So it's like we're doing the work to promote his film for him. And that winds me up. I don't think that is true because they, we, they know that this is part of a universe. So they, they, these Easter eggs that have been put in this film are to set up that universe. But is it, was it just going to be like a... Not, it, there's is, no way that's seen... Yeah, is Batista in the TV series? We don't, I don't know. But that's what I mean, if it. he's not, if he's not, then it, then, then, it, then that is not true. Then is it, my problem is, my problem is, is there's a lot of effort, what you said, all these people online, a lot of effort into a film that I thought was just average, just. So so that's great, fans. You're entitled to that opinion. It's not for me. I thought it was quite boring zombie film. I know you like Zeus. I hated him. I was like, I hate his motives. I don't even... He's redundant in being a... Uh, redundant being a, a, a zombie. I really liked the opening scene with those two guys talking in a van. I mm. can't remember what they were talking about, but at the same time, I was like, it felt like you and me talking. I think mm. they were just talking shit. I was like, oh, that's fun. I enjoyed that. And Zack Snyder's biggest problem, and no one has ever just, I'm sure critics have called him out all the time, but no one's ever gone, how do you pace a movie? How do the, how do the credits end 14 minutes into your film and then your storyline's two minutes and it's like, bam, right, next scene. You cannot pace a film. I love you, darling. For You take risks, and I appreciate that, Zach. But you pace a film for the love of Christ, paste it. And I know you're listening. You're a huge fan. I, I appreciate it. You've seen Watchmen, right? Yeah, that's mean. You can't paste for shit. <laughs> um, but no, like I say, it was all right. 
I don't disagree. Mm. You're entitled to your opinion. I, I do disagree with it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm good. I think I'll rewatch it, which I didn't say about Justice League. Justice League, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I, I you know, so it's the superior movie. So I think, in, I think I was too kind to Justice League. I, the thing is, I'll, I'll never test myself because I ain't watching it. <laughs> I'm not watching it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I would watch. I would watch Army of the Dead again now, looking for more Easter eggy kind of bits and pieces. Easter, Easter eggs are good though when you know definitively what they are. Like mm. for example, what's that film that I don't really like? Ready Player One, full of Easter eggs, but that's because you know that they're Easter eggs. Like, oh, that's Batman. Oh, that's it. In this, they're Easter eggs. Maybe <laughs> you don't know that they're Easter eggs. They could genuinely just be a mistake. <laughs> but it, yeah, but you, you, again, you, I don't think you make mistakes like that and that scale of. I mean, no, that, that being said, you, you do. I mean, yeah, this, I mean, a coffee cup got into Game of Thrones for good. Yeah, you know, but. I know, I know the point you're making, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if he's just like, I don't just get him talking. <laughs> it means nothing, lol, as he runs to the bank. <laughs> but then if he doesn't, then that's great. Yeah. That, that's still good because it gets you and people like us and people around the world talking about that movie. Um, what an episode. We've crammed lots into that. We've done loads, uh, you know, from from the master of horror and suspense and drama, uh, uh, John Carpenter, to <laughs> friends. <laughs> friends at the beginning. And Kevin Spacey got a mention. What the hell is going on next week? Uh, we're going to look at Henry Cavill. Yeah, let's, it's, time to, uh, it's time to sort him out. And then we have a big one on the way, and that is Star Trek. It is the big one. So we would like you to watch them and get your thoughts and send them in before we record the episode for Star- once instead of, instead of afterwards. Star Trek <laughs> scares me a little bit because Trekkies are diehard fans. Do you know what does protect you? I would class myself as a Trekkie. Oh. So I'm, I, you know, to boldly go, mate, I will protect you. I'm not saying I'll like- be the red shirt. I'll jump in your way. I'm not. I get that reference. Um, I'm. I'm not going to say that I'm a massive. You know, know everything about film anyway. But I do tend to hold my own in a conversation. But I Star Trek to me is like it's, completely. It's, like, it's for you. It's Virgin Land. Yeah, which is weird because so is the Comic Con. Hey, oh, oh, oh. Still a track. I'm also a virgin. <laughs> I, but I, I'm looking forward to uh, going on that adventure, James, together. To boldly go, and no man has gone before. Nanu, nanu. If I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.